Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 103 of Through the Years, the podcast reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame, joined as always by the co-host Matt Feuerstein. Matt, it's a new year. Um, off to a great start. My laptop might be dead, so I'm doing this from a backup device. So uh, I'm going to give a big uh, a big warning to everybody. Usually one of the things I do on the show before I get ready, I do extensive notes for everything. And I reread my notes to catch what's usually about 15 to 20 typos because I write my notes very haphazardly. Uh didn't have time to do that tonight, so I am sure I am going to like say a lot of wrong words probably on this episode. So off to a great start in 2023, Matt. I don't even correct my typos, um, so that's uh, that's a, a you know bully on you for even bothering to do that in the first place. But I um, I actually have it. Uh, I have some news. I have it on good authority, and uh, and I think I have some reliable sources here that 2023 is the newest year on record. There has never <laughs> been a year as new as 2023 is right now. Yeah, uh, it's like it's got that new car smell. It's uh yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's just it's just the mo- the most new a year can be. So, <laughs> I um so I respect 2023 for being so new. And um hopefully it'll stay this new forever. That's that's my <laughs> wish for 2023. Um but yeah, how are you, Trevor? Uh, not, <laughs> not, not great. Uh, laptop fried. Uh, you know what? Other than that, uh, I'm doing great, Matt. I'm doing great other than that one trivial thing. But, um, yeah, speaking of how new things can become not new, we have one piece of news that between the last Ring of Honor show and this one. It's, it's only kind of tangentially Ring of Honor, uh, related, but it, it's kind of interesting. It is, this is the time period where, uh, TNA got in on the Jim Cornette love because, uh, so this is from the Pro Wrestling Torch at the time. Uh, they wrote a whole story about how Jim Cornette had signed with TNA at this time to be shockingly Matt, their commissioner <laughs> or some honor figure at the least. Uh, they write in the torch. Cornette has recently been working on a few shows for Ring of Honor and acting as commissioner of that promotion. He will remain in that position despite also having an on-air role with TNA in upcoming months. In a statement released on Ring of Honor's website, where Cornette is the on-air authority figure for ROH, Cornette said, quote, I have verbally agreed to a limited number of TNA dates. This will not interfere with my Ring of Honor commitments. I am committed to Ring of Honor dates throughout this year and beyond. So, yeah, it's – uh. One of those funny moments where, you know, a lot of TNA Ring of Honor crossover right down to now Jim Cornette. And this was probably like, I know he would be involved in Ring of Honor in a major way on his, on a next run through in the Sinclair era. But in a way, this was kind of like the last peak of Jim Cornette as like a real on air player in wrestling in a major way, you know, where he was simultaneously now like the authority figure for you could argue the number two and number three promotions in the U.S. at this time. I don't really remember his TNA stuff from this time at all. How long was he with TNA? Because I, I don't, I really don't remember that. I, I obviously remembered the ROA stuff because I watched it more closely. But I, I watched TNA a bit, and I, I don't remember his uh, his TNA run. Yeah, I don't remember how long. Uh, my TNA memories are blissfully uh, foggy. Uh, a lot of hammer work has gone into producing that mental state. But uh, 
Yeah, yeah I, I, you know what, Matt? One thing I can tell you without remembering, I'm sure it didn't end well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, I think – wasn't Russo brought back like by the fall of that year? Yeah, wasn't that one of the ones where Cornette made some kind of threat via an email or something? Or There, there are so many that it's, it's hard to keep track, but uh, – that brings us to the show we have today, the uh, a special delight, Matt. We, we, we're covering today How We Roll, which took place May 12th, 2006, at the Sports Plus Entertainment Center in Lake Grove, New York, in front of a reporter crowd of 650 fans. Uh, By the, Meltzer, second, the second time I had the pleasure of going to Sports Plus to watch a Ring of Honor show. What a show you picked, Matt. Um, the Observer wrote, and they, he, the, Matt, uh, Dave is slandering you here then, knowing that you were at the show. Dave wrote in The Observer, uh, Ring of Honor ran May 12th in Lake Grove, New York, which is on Long Island, and drew a far less enthusiastic than usual crowd. The crowd took the show down, and it was said to have been a decent show, but not the usual standard. Crowd with 650 fans, and among those at the show were Mick Foley and Brian Gerwertz, who uh, may have been there to see Christian. Dave speculates, but it, yeah, obviously Mick Foley, Long Island guy. You said you know yeah, hey, he, he, he he lived like legit, like quite close to Sports Plus. Like it's not even just Long Island. Like he lived in that region, so it would it was very convenient. I think he even said on the last on the, the last time he was at ROH that he helped like broker the deal between the venue and ROH. So that's how uh, much of an uh, attachment he has to uh, Sports Plus. And so, you know, Mick putting his, uh, you know, you know, there was a lot of people, you know, probably that claimed to be fans of Ring of Honor that came by his legends for a cup of coffee or something. But, you know, Mick Foley put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, where, you know, he, you know, his WWE he can't appear on the show anymore, but he's still showing up when they're in his area. You know, he's still attending. And, and he was a big part of WWE TV during this time period. So... That, yeah, that's definitely he's he's really showing up for ROH here, literally and figuratively. But uh, Long Island crowds had a bad rep in Ring of Honor. Matt, I I did not think this crowd was very good. I did not think it was necessarily as bad as some of the reviews and Dave is making it out to be. And I will say this: I don't think they had a ton to work with on this night. Uh, okay, but- so I was at this show. Um, I was at a bunch of, of ROH shows in Long Island. I so when I went to Glory by Honor. In September of 05, I thought that crowd was fine. Like, pretty good. When we watched the DVDs of Sign of Dishonor and A Night of Tribute and Unscripted 2, I thought those crowds were not spectacular, but, but solid, especially Sign of Dishonor. I thought that was actually a pretty good crowd. Um, but I knew of the rep that Long Island crowds had, not just for ROH, but even for WWE back then. And, um, yeah, this crowd was, was bad. I, I, it's, it's different kind of bad than maybe some of the other bad crowds that we've seen, which I, you know, I'll maybe get into more of the specifics as we watch the show. It definitely was worse live than it was on video, but no, this, so I, I, I think I'm pretty fair in my judgment of crowds. This was a bad crowd. And I do think that there are things on this show that would have been better with different crowds. Yeah, I mean, there, there was, there were some snarky comments. There were some things that they were quiet for, but if it, I will say at the, ver- at the worst, it was a combination of a bad show and a bad crowd. Tipping my hat early here, but we will then go to, uh, 
how we open the show. We open backstage with Lieutenant Commissioner Adam Pierce. So this is the first show post Jim Cornette knee surgery where he can't attend shows in person for a while. So Pierce has been the Lieutenant Commissioner in his stead. Uh, Pierce says he just got off the phone with Jim Cornette, who uh, Pierce tells us is recovering from surgery. Uh, Cornette, I mean, uh, Pierce says he has a message for homicide. He says they're fighting a losing battle against CZW, Ring of Honor, that is. And he points to the ugly scar on his head. He suffered at a recent show. He points out BJ, Net, BJ Whitmer's neck is hurt. Now Samoa Joe has an injured knee. And so he's asking Homicide to enlist and, enjoy, and join the war for Ring of Honor. And he says, do it for yourself. You know, don't do it for anyone else but yourself. He goes, I know deep down your heart beats for Ring of Honor. Uh, Pierce says he's tired of getting his fucking head kicked in. That's a Brian Danielson line. And asks again for help. Uh, Pierce then transitions his promo to CZW's Chris Hero, Claudio Castagnoli, and Necro Butcher, and says hopes he says he hopes they come here tonight. He says he and BJ Whitmer are ready, willing, and able to fight in Lake Grove, New York. So yeah, opening promo. So this is like you know this feels like the real start of the. You know it'll be interesting to see how it kind of plays out in practice, but definitely this is the start of where they're really overtly going to like. Homicide, we need your help. We really and, need your help right now. And also, um, it wasn't on the you know the DVD proper, but uh, the ROH video wire, uh, Cornette himself did a promo like the week before this, um, beckoning Homicide to join the fight for Ring of Honor. So this is sort of a continuation of that. So I think the Cornette promo on the website was actually the beginning, and then this is the beginning on the actual DVDs. You know, I, I always say it's kind of weird where you have that like – Website continuity, live event continuity, and then the DVD continuity, and they're sort of slightly different. Um, I guess the video wires are trying to bridge that gap a little bit, but yeah. Um, at, at, yeah. Then eventually we get into the um, the pay per view continuity, having to get yes, added yes, in. Yes. That'll be that'll be a fun time. But oh, yeah, in fact, I think if you we watched this, we had a video file to get this. But uh, if you had the actual DVD, I believe this was one of those shows where the video wire was on the DVD. So you could have watched the Cornet promo and then watched the Adam Pierce promo that said a very similar thing, which, and, you know, that yeah. was the other thing. Sometimes there would be some redundancies and stuff like every di- Every DVD from here on out, as long as the video wires existed, would also have the video wire attached to it. So at uh, this point, we cut to Nigel McGinnis backstage, who says they're here in some Long Island in New York. He says at the last show, Brian Danielson, that Clam digger, that club foot. He couldn't get back in the ring with him. Couldn't beat out the count. And Nigel thinks maybe Danielson didn't even want to get back in the ring with Nigel. Maybe he tr- lost by count on purpose. Nigel says it's only a matter of time before he's wearing Danielson's world title in addition to his pure title. And he's the best pure champion in the world. So, you know, just reiterating the, the Nigel thing. And if you believe, you know, the reporting we read after that recent show where Nigel, uh, Russell uh, Danielson, you know, Gabe didn't even decide that uh, that was going to be more than a one-off till that match was so great. So I imagine here next show, Gabe instantly just goes, okay, well, we better shoot a quick little promo just to keep that in everyone's mind and that this is going to continue. So uh, next we had two dark matches that did not make the DVD, just the usual students dark matches. We had Alex Payne and Bobby Dempsey defeating Ernie Osiris and Rhett Titus. I believe this was the Ring of Honor, the, the debut in wrestling for maybe, I believe, Alex Payne and Ernie Osiris, possibly. Um, and then we had a four-corner survival match. Pele Primo defeated Derek Dempsey, Mitch Franklin, and Shane Hagedorn. And in another one of those classic, uh, 
the students get no respect. I listening to you know the other great Ring of Honor podcast that we plug heavily, uh, the an honorable mention. I believe they mentioned on that show, listening to the, the review of this, that the original stipulation for that dark four way for the students was the winner was supposed to get to uh, face Kikataro tonight, and obviously the card gets shuffled around, and Pelly does not get to do that. So I like that even when like the students get a chance to appear on the main card, somehow it gets stolen from them. Um. And that brings us to the show proper. We open on the DVD with a uh, other after the promos with a uh, Bobby Cruz in front of the live crowd, and he's telling them that tonight's main event is a Dream Partners tag team match pitting Ring of Honor World Champion Brian Danielson against NWA World Heavyweight Champion Christian Cage. Uh, both men get mostly cheers, but each guy gets actually a few distinct boos from different pockets of the crowd. Uh, Crew says each man will get to pick whoever they want off of tonight's card to be their tag team partners. And then he introduces us to our main card opening match, which is Matt Seidel defeating Jimmy Yang via pinfall in nine minutes, 27 seconds after hitting a shooting star press. Uh, Matt, this was a, this, the first of two matches this weekend. This was uh, another Ring of Honor double shot. This would be Jimmy Yang's final weekend in Ring of Honor. Uh, the fans all knew he was WWE bound, uh, as quickly made evident by, you could hear a fan shouting from the crowd at one point, velocity brown, velocity bound, and, um, at Yang, and then there's a little pause, and you can hear the fan then go, ha ha, yeah, I said it, and I just thought, you're a very cool fan, obviously, uh, very funny, but, um, before we get to your opinion on the match, Matt, uh, there was a little more acknowledgement of this, which th- this does not make the DVD. This was edited off. Uh, this is pretty funny to me, though. Uh, we'll go to the PW Torch. After his match in Long Island, New York on Friday night, Jimmy Yang told the crowd, see you on WWE.com. That comment was not cleared ahead of time. Ring of Honor booker Gabe Zapolsky was said to be unhappy about it afterward. Quote, it was not cleared, Gabe tells PW Torch. One Ring of Honor wrestler tells PW Torch he thought the comment was, quote, pretty funny, unquote, and not a big deal. Quote, I think he was just saying his goodbyes to the Long Island crowd. So, yeah, I believe that specifically the WWE.com reference wasn't Velocity, those like those C shows on the website at that point. So I guess I'm sure it was Jimmy Yang having fun with that perception that like, yeah, you're not going to get pushed at all, but pretty funny stuff. Oh yeah. Other than the, um, yeah, I said it. Ha ha ha. Chang. Um, the crowd wasn't so bad for this match. And, um, the match itself was, was all action. You know, there were a little bit of, there were some botches, but it was, uh, it was entertaining enough, I suppose. Um, you know, by this point, I think, Yang has not cultivated super high expectations from the ROH crowd. He, you know, his performances were not like a number of great matches. So even though, you know, Seidel was on a pretty decent role and I was obviously liking his stuff, I think a little more than you were at this point. Um, I don't think, you know, when this match popped up, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a great one, you know? And so I think it met my expectations. Um, it had a little bit of, um, kind of an extra little spice to it because Yang was sort of working heelishly. Like he, um, you know, was um, like eye poking and, you know, really targeting the arm, uh, you know, pretty aggressively. Um, But um, like at the very beginning, he suckers Yang in with that, excuse me, suckers Seidel in with a handshake and then goes for a kick and a forearm. The announcers never really react to Yang being a heel. Like they're never like, "Oh my god, how could he be doing this?" They're just like, "Oh, Yang's being a little bit of a 
you know, jerky, you know, whatever they say. I don't know what they say, but they're not really reacting like they're so appalled by his behavior. But that's really the only thing that makes the match a little bit unique or different from what's expected. Uh, hits a low blow at one point too, but otherwise, you know, they you know they hit their big moves, moonsault to the outside, uh, leaping Inzaghiri to the top rope by Yang, neckbreaker off the top rope that looked pretty good. Um, then uh, Seidel held on while Yang went for a top rope Rana and then hit the shooting star press and got the win. Um, so I thought I thought this was a solid match. I, I I didn't really have a strong opinion about it one way or another, honestly, but I definitely didn't feel negatively about it. I thought this was a very Jimmy Yang ROH match with, like, as you said, the exception he tried a bit of healing here. Um, it was funny because even, even then you could argue, okay, he's showing more charisma, but it was like when he wasn't doing like a heel thing, he was still that kind of charisma void Jimmy Yang has been in Ring of Honor. Like between those isolated little heel spots, he was just kind of there. I think the cherry on, I, I think this match was like a strong average. Like it was just, it was a, Ring, Jimmy Yang Ring of Honor match. I thought Seidel tried. He hit his big moonsault off the top to the floor that he often hits. Um, you know, Jimmy Yang did his usual stuff. The cherry, though, on top of this match was uh, Yang threw that big spinning back kick he throws in every match, and he completely whiffed on it in this match, and it, actually to the point that the crowd booed him for that. Um, and then there's that same segment that happens in seemingly every Jimmy Yang ring arm match where right in the middle, he slows it down with a random submission. And, um, yeah, I'm just kind of over Jimmy. Yang. He's not actively bad, but just, uh, yeah, uh, it was, it was not an objectionable match though. Next we get, uh, full ring introductions for our next match, which is supposed to be, I guess on paper, delirious versus Christopher Daniels versus Colt Cabana versus, uh, Nigel McGuinness. When Christian Cage makes his way to the ring, when just delirious Daniels and Cabana are in the ring, um, he, Christian comes out with no ring in music or anything. He just unceremoniously walks to the ring. He gets a nice reaction, but one fan throws what I think was a roll of toilet paper. It may have been just a white streamer, but Colt wipes his butt with it. So I, I it was I, toilet I paper. Was, yeah, great. I got you. Um, I, I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna come back to my role as toilet paper versus streamer <laughs> judge. And only uh, one thing we've learned from through the years is I am blind when it comes to the difference between toilet papers and streamers. Um, Christian grabs the mic. He says, it's good to be in Strong Island, and it's good to be in Ring of Honor. He says he's been watching a ton of Ring of Honor DVDs, which is just that classic line that so many wrestlers who come to Ring of Honor say is a way to kind of basically say, like, don't hate me. I, I'm legit, folks. Um, also, I bet, you says, it's, I bet you it's true that he's watched at least a few. Yeah, I bet you, you know, there's a lot of people I'm sure it was true for, and I bet you there were some it was decidedly not true for. Um, Christian says he came here to talk to Colt Cabana. He has two questions for him. First, what is this delirious guy smoking and where can they get some? There's no wellness policy here, is there? Which technically he's not even on his third question. He's already asked three questions, but the wellness, poli- goes- the wellness policy joke, like I'm not going to like be such a, like a prude, like we're like, Oh God, that's a tasteless joke, but it is a little bit awkward because this isn't so long. Like the wellness policy was put into effect after Eddie Guerrero died. And this isn't so long after that. And the night of tribute was in this very building. I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't have made the joke, but it's just something that, you know, made my ears perk up a little bit. 
Yeah, like that. That seems like a lot edgier joke. No pun intended. Um, you know, at the time that it would now, even now, I think a couple of people would kind of raise their eyebrows, like, "Oh, you're talking about the wellness policy." But like, yeah, back then it was a much fresher, rawer issue, so to speak. But uh, then uh, Christian says the second question is that after uh, watching those Ring of Honor DVDs, the guy he was most impressed. I was Colt Cabana. Uh, no offense to Colt. I want to know which DVDs he was watching. Yeah, uh, I was, I'm, yeah I'm trying to think. Most impressed? <laughs> he, he points out that he gets to pick his own partner tonight for the Dream Tag Team match. At this point, a fan of the crowd shouts out, Pick Gangrel! And Christian just doesn't really have a good comeback for that. He just like calmly says, uh, Gangrel isn't here. Well, <laughs> but, like, but, oh. but, but then after that, somebody keeps going, Pick Edge! Pick Edge! And it's just like, alright, well, this is the, one of the another early um, uh, kind of like emblematic uh, example of why this crowd was annoying. It's like they're just like, yes, I know you from WWE. Here's the WWE stuff. I'm gonna just keep saying WWE. Like like somebody said, pick Edge like three or four times during this promo, and it's like, yes, we know Edge and Christian. They were a tag team. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I think it's also one of those things where this crowd was quiet enough a lot of the time that when, you know, some other people, I mean, I'm sure a lot of wrestling crowds have that isolated, like, couple smarky fans just trying to be goofballs and get themselves over, so to speak, but, like, you don't hear them because everyone else is just reacting to matches and moments and things. Well, this was a, this was a night where like you often heard those comments, like the velocity comment and this comment already, like. Yeah, I think it's a combination. Like, A, I do think it's because of the quietness of the crowd. B, I think it's because there were legitimately more of those comments on yeah. this show than another show. Cause I, you know, I went to a lot Agreed. of these shows. Like I, yeah. like there was a lot of that on this show. And then C, I think it's like the mic, whatever camera mic they used was like more, I don't know, based like more in the crowd or whatever, where like you could like really pick up a lot of the individual crowd comments from individual members of the audience, uh, on the, on the audio of the DVD. Yeah, I, I think I think I would agree on uh, all three counts there. So uh, Christian asked then Colt. This is his second official question. He asks Colt to be his partner tonight in the tag match against Brian Danielson, the Dream Partners tag match. Uh, Colt takes the mic. And he says, "The answer to your first question, you know, the one about what Delirious is smoking. Where can they get some?" He says, "The answer to that is homicide, and he has the best stuff in the building, which gets a decent reaction." Uh, Colt says he doesn't know Christian from Adam, and you know that funny little pun doesn't really get much of a reaction. It goes over the crowd's head, and then he. He goes he at this point he introduces himself officially to Christian and saying he's a fan. Christian says he likes Colt's bandana, which was Colt was just wearing his usual like Cabana Rama bandana that he wore in a lot of his matches and sold on his website and I'm sure at merch tables everywhere. Colt says he made it at his house. Colt asks what uh, uh, Christian asks if Colt can make him a bandana. Colt asks, well, what would your bandana say? Christian just says cage which again like the gang girl thing like christian a clever guy there's a couple moments like in this promo where he has a chance like someone sets out like say something funny and he just gives a very straight answer <laughs> like colt's just like well what would your bandana is he just goes cage and colt his, says his ad living was not on point on this show yeah colt says cage-a-rama and then colt says he'll he'll make one for uh christian but they'll have to wait till he gets back home Colt says they have a lot in common. Their hijinks are at a high, and people probably think they go back like car seats. Uh, Colt appreciates the chance to face Brian Danielson again, and he appreciates the kind words, but – and then at this point, as Colt's trying to waver, Christian interrupts him and says, like, if you're going to 
if you're going to say no, I'm going to look like an idiot right now. Some fan then, some fans then start chanting, just say no. Again, this was a weird crowd. So they're like, yeah, we want you to look stupid. Um, Colt then says, this would be the Jew and the Christian teaming up to conquer evil. So count him in. So Colt, uh, again, you know, just a few shows after the starting the old, uh, Colt Cabana is just working opening matches and starting his way from the bottom. I believe this is his second out of three shows he has main evented since well, then. But, but also, even if he hadn't gotten that main event, he was in a pretty marquee match with like other big stars, to, like yeah. just, just on the actual scheduled card. So yeah, not really sticking to that whole preliminary thing. I guess you would say it would have been second from the bottom on the match listings, but that was a yeah, very on, strangely placed yeah. second from the bottom only to facilitate this angle. Yeah. Um, at this point, we hear Dan- Brian Danielson on the mic doing one of his classic throat clears. He stands at the entrance of the divided crowd, reacts to him. Some chant, fuck you, dragon. Some people sh- chant, shut the fuck up. But those fans... Uh, Danielson says the crowd is stupid because they watch too much television and he's disgusted with the ovation they gave Christian Cage when he's the one who built Ring of Honor and he's the reason everyone is here tonight. He says it was right here in Long Island when he, where he won the Ring of Honor World Championship, beating James Gibson. It was right here where, where he knocked out Christian Christopher Daniels to retain the title. He's beaten Roderick Strong three times. He's beaten Marafuji. He's beaten Lance Storm. He's beaten every man they put him in the ring with. And that makes him the best champion in wrestling today. Danielson says he's also the best wrestler in the world. He's also the one who won't sell out. And he is stuck by Ring of Honor. And all you idiots applaud Christian. Danielson says he's a wrestler who sticks it to corporate America and is way too good for television. The Ring of Honor belt is better than television. It won't degrade people's minds. And if it's off to people's peripheral view, it's because Ring of Honor makes people turn their heads. A line that is so corny, it made me groan watching this. Um, a portion of the crowd chants Dragon at this point, which Danielson calls a small portion of intelligence in a vast crowd of stupidity. Uh, Christian at this point asks if Danielson's ever going to shut up. Christian says, it's unfortunate this is how they have to meet, champ. Or should I just call you John Cena with AIDS, which is like... A line that, do, like, a li- a line that does not age well. Also, it's like... I, I know that the, the idea is, oh, if you look like a, a skinnier, emaciated version of someone, people at this time, if they want to make like an edgy joke, would say you're like blank with AIDS. I, I'm sure I've done a couple times when I was younger, you know, not proudly. But like you just walk, you just walk down the street telling people that they look like so and so. Yeah, that was that was your that was your thing back then. But but like John Cena, like Brian Danielson, you could add sixty pounds of muscle to him. He still does not look like John Cena. Like. They're two white men, I guess, that wrestle. I don't really see a resemblance, but um, Christian then calls Brian an asshole, and he makes fun of his pasty white skin, calling him Casper the Friendly Ghost. Christian says he's not going to debate which title is better, ROH or NWAs, which we should know. If that seems weird, you, you would say, oh, is it Christian and TNA at this point? He is, but this was the time period where TNA's world title was not the TNA world heavyweight title. It was the NWA world heavyweight title, and – uh Christian says he respects what Ring of Honor stands for, and after Danielson loses tonight, he will respect Christian. Danielson points out that he beat Christian's tag partner in five minutes recently, and it doesn't matter how pale he is. He can beat both of them by himself. The crowd chants, prove it. Danielson threatens to punch a fan. 
He says he doesn't have to prove anything. He says he could pick Delirious to team with him tonight, but Delirious is too crazy and weird. So instead, he asks Christopher Daniels, saying that since he knocked him out, they're practically family. I don't know how that works, but uh, that's Danielson's theory on things. Uh, Danielson, he says he hears they've teamed before, but he can't remember when. He says in case Danielson can't understand because he suffered too many concussions, he's asking if he wants to be his partner tonight in the Dream Tag match. Uh, Christopher Daniels then points out that Danielson is rubbing and knocking him out and wants him to team up to face two guys he has no issue with. Although then he then points out that he's a little hurt Christian didn't pick him because, you know, they're both in TNA. Um, Colt points out, you know, I have a headband. The crowd tries to tell Daniels to reject Brian Danielson, but Daniels says he'll make a deal. He'll be Brian's partner tonight, but one day down the line, when they should wrestle one more time for the Ring of Honor World Championship, uh, Brian Danielson says, why? So I can just knock you out again? But then he says, okay, if you if we win the tag match tonight, this will be a key point, I'll give you one more title shot. Danielson then calls Danielson his albino friend and says that he has a partner tonight. Christian says if Danielson was that good, he would have beaten Colton four minutes, not five, which was a funny line. Uh, Christian says they're going to win tonight for all his Ring of Honor peeps. Everyone leaves except Delirious, who remains crouched in the ring corner. Bobby Cruz says they still have one more competitor, and they are still got to have a match right here. And out comes Bobby Cruz. At this point, Bobby Cruz then says he's just been informed that this will be a one-fall three-way match. As an on-screen graphic shows us, it will be non-title, so pure, Nigel's pure title will not be on the line. And Born to be Wild hits, and Kikutaro comes out. So it is now a three-way. Nigel Texas comes down the aisle. We'll get to that match in a second. But Matt, what do you think? That was a you know a big segment. That was more more like a WWE segment, and it's almost like felt like like a raw type segment where the main event is not set in stone, and we have to have this big long interview segment that kind of sets in stone, you know, sets up the main event tonight, and everyone kind of is booking themselves. There's some humor involved. It, the the lines from Danielson about like. TV will rot your mind and I will never sell out. And then the line about like mocking Christopher Daniels for having too many concussions, like definitely things about that that aged. I don't even know. I would say didn't age well. Aged just bizarrely, I would say. I mean, it was entertaining enough this whole segment, but definitely a different kind of thing. Um, well, I think the reason you hate this show so much is because you had to recap that thing in so much detail. I give you a lot of credit for that. I thought this sucked so bad. I liked it less than any of the matches on the show. Um, it was just weird attitude era humor that doesn't age well at all. The crowd was barely reacting to it. It went on forever and ever and ever. Even Danielson, who, you know, I've loved his 2006 promos. Even that just felt very simplistic and basic and just like uninteresting that promo just like you know just a total like uncomplicated heel promo you know without any of like kind of the cleverness that i've I've usually seen in danielson's promos and i just thought christian's jokes were across the board terrible and made worse by the fact that the crowd wasn't really reacting to them and yeah i just couldn't stand this like it just is the exact opposite of what i watch roh for yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it was, I, just, I was not, not as negative on as you, but yeah, it was weird and, uh, uh, it doesn't get better from here. Um, so 
We go to the three-way match, non-title. Delirious defeats Kikutaro and Nigel McGinnis in 8 minutes, 15 seconds, when he made Kikutaro submit to the Cobra Stretch. Um... This was a lot of common. This was a lot of comedy when Kikatara was in the ring, sprinkled with a tiny bit of serious wrestling. Usually, when it was just Nigel and Delirious in the ring, but this was also one of those three-way matches where the wrestlers make hilariously little effort to try and keep everyone involved or give guys a good reason to not be involved in the match. Like it's usually just two guys in the ring, and at a couple of moments, you catch one guy literally just standing around, often outside the ring, watching the match waiting to get back in the ring like it is one of those very much just we don't really want to work a three-way let's just take turns doing things we want to do and then maybe we'll do a couple three-way spots uh, the, the match was funny enough i think i would feel differently if i saw it more often but like i still get a kick out of kikataro's act even though at this point it's already like i've seen basically everything he does in this match before but you know i don't see it very often so i you know kikataro's lovable i i I enjoy his shtick you know we get all the usual goofiness here the slow-mo spots the he you know he uses the japanese ref to whip him into the corner delirious yeah the ref has a delirious accidentally ddt kikataro i mean this was a decent if you just like comedy as a wrestling match not that good at all um I felt like a little bit of a waste of, of, of Nigel, especially on a show that probably could have used him in a more standout singles match. But you can see all the heavy lifting this is, match is accomplishing from a booking standpoint in the sense that Delirious is wrestling Danielson for the world title the next night. So he probably needs a win the night before to keep him warm. Um, if Nigel, you know, and also the next time they go in, into Long Island, uh, Delirious is going to be wrestling Nigel for the uh, pure title. So, at the same time, you want to keep Nigel hot. You don't want him to drop the title, so you make it a non-title match. You make it so you don't. He doesn't even take the fall. But technically, Delirious wins the match. But I mean, it makes sense, but not really very satisfying. I would say. Yeah, I mean the the other big Kikutaro match that everyone remembers is the one from uh, the final showdown in May of '05. And that one got over a lot better than this one. You know, that had uh, what had Joe in it. Wasn't Jack Evans in it too? Um, you know, and obviously Delirious and, um, and Kikutaro, or I guess what, was he Ebison at the time or Ebitaro or I, I don't even know. So, a bestest Jack. There's something. Yeah. There. One of those. But, um, you know, so like this didn't go as well as that, but you know, it was still fun seeing Delirious and Kikutaro play the hits with their slow motion stuff and the soft chops and, you know, whatever Orange Cassidy was inspired by way back when, um, and, you know, obviously the storyline was, you know, that Nigel wouldn't wouldn't take that shit and he would come in and try to be serious. And he actually, you know, even in this match, you know, even as Nigel is, you know, becoming more of that hard-hitting Nigel, he hits the rebound lariat pretty hard on Delirious early in the match and Delirious kicks out. So they still haven't even come close to treating that move as a killer yet. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it was all right. You know, I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think maybe if the crowd was a little better, it would have felt more enjoyable um so here's my my big observation about this crowd like if you remember we did way 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 back when we reviewed war of the wire and that crowd was just like silent for most of the show and Mm -hmm. this crowd was not like that like there was a constant like buzz and hum in the crowd but a lot of the noise was the random you know snarky comments from people 
which we'll get a few more as we go through the show. And then otherwise, like, the noise didn't really correlate or correspond with what was happening in the ring. Like, they didn't react to things that happened. Like, there was sound, but it's not like they were popping, really, or reacting very much. And so the crowd just seemed disengaged from the visuals, which I just thought made for a, just like, an eerie, well, maybe not eerie, but like, just like a strange feeling watching the show. Like, it just, it just didn't, didn't compute. It, it didn't, it didn't line up. So I think that hurt a lot of the, the matches, including this one. I think this was, you know, just supposed to be like a crowd work kind of match and the crowd wasn't really being worked. So it just felt worse than maybe it otherwise would have. So I would just describe this as just decently entertaining, but mostly very forgettable. I think that's a really good way to put it. I, I especially feel like this crowd, it was one of those crowds where even when they made noise, like they never seemed passionate. Like there was never a moment on the show that I can remember where it was really like they were just, you know, it felt like they were just being compelled to make noise. You know, it was almost just like, yeah, they'll, they'll pop for things that they feel like it's kind of like, this is, while well, this is a moment we should give a pop, but I never felt like they were really losing themselves in, in the night. But Favorite moment of that match, by the way, that three-way was uh, Nigel at one point goes, you want some comedy? And then he r- grinds his forearm on Delirious's face, and he goes, ho, ho, ho. And I just thought, what a, I love that. Just him saying, ho, ho, ho. He's like, well, that's some comedy for he you. Knew we'd, he knew we'd re- be reviewing this close to Christmas season. <laughs> yeah. So that's why he did it. Um, that Next up, we have a Ring of Honor tag team title number one contendership match. The embassy of Alex Shelley and Jimmy Rave, scored to the ring by Daisy Hayes and Prince Nana, defeated the Rottweilers of Homicide and Ricky Reyes, scored to the ring by Julia Smokes, by disqualification in 19 minutes, 41 seconds, when Julia Smokes is caught interfering. Uh, this would be... Alex Shelley's last match as a regular in for this, like the Gabe era of ring of honor, he would be back for a match next year as part of the motor city machine guns. And then a couple, a few more in 2008, but this is it for him as, and, and not intention. I, I, I'm sure he probably would have been phased out very quickly shortly, but clearly winning a number one contendership match. There was plans for at least a couple more matches from him. He was supposed uh, to wrestle Nigel for the pure title the next night, but he hurt his knee here. Yeah, in fact, we'll go to the PW Torch. Alex Shelley aggravated an old knee injury during Ray of Honor's event last Friday in Long Island, New York. Ray of Honor replaced him on the card with Jay Lethal. There's no word on whether or not Lethal will be making a permanent return to the Ray of Honor roster, but he is signed for upcoming dates with Ray of Honor's sister promotion, FIP, and Jay Lethal would not be making a permanent return to Ray of Honor's roster, at least not at this point, we'll say. Um, yeah, so for those who don't watch the match, Alex Shelley kips up. And he just grabs his knee immediately to the point where at first I thought it was him selling. Right, but then he, does, I, he doesn't really, really like you know seem in agony the rest of the match. Like he he plays it off pretty well, but yeah, obviously it was real. You can see him grabbing and checking, but like yeah, he doesn't seem that limited. But yeah, it was obviously a legit injury. His match the next night gets canceled, and he does. This is his last match in Ring of Honor for a year. So, Matt, what do you think about this? So. I think this match is looked upon pretty negatively, and I went in expecting it to not really like it. And it's not like it was good, but I, I just all these personalities, I, I just enjoy so much that I, I was more entertained than I expected to be, based on the match's reputation and what I remember. Um, you know, I mean, if I if I hadn't known anything about this match before, I'd be excited at the prospects of having Nana and Julius Smokes on the outside together. And I think that maybe one mistake 
in the presentation of this match is that the idea, you know, what we talked about with the two camera shoot, they should have had a camera that was just focused on the, the, the seconds outside the ring, because I'm sure that they were doing a lot of entertaining stuff that we never got to see. Um, you know, they did get involved, you know, like Nana would get involved more than Smokes, which would play into the finish. He would attack on the outside and stuff. He'd trip Homicide. So, you know, Homicide basically worked this match as a babyface, even though he hadn't officially turned yet. Um, and there is a spot in the middle of the match where Homi- where uh, Smokes and Nana get in the ring and tease that they're going to have a big fight in the middle of the ring before their guys break them up. Um, you know, and Daisy Hayes gets involved a bunch of times. And I think that aspect of it, you know, if they really just wanted to go that route, they should have had people, uh, you know, or they should have had a camera on them and include that in the edit. Um, I think that would have been, uh, would have made the match more entertaining. But as far as what we did get, um, you know, there's a lot of stalling, a lot of heel work, a lot of, you know, outside the crowd stuff. Long Island, as I've noted on other shows, really does seem to take extra relish in the homophobic chants they direct at Jimmy Rave. You know, Jimmy likes balls, Jimmy swallows, all, you know, all the homo, all the homophobic classics that Long Island 2000s wrestling fans love. Um, they got it all in there. Um, but they stall and they stall. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because the Rottweilers work this match like, they're just toying with the embassy. Like their their gimmick is that they're aggressive and threatening. And I would say they were not at all in this match. They were just like kind of taking it easy. I don't know if you uh, you noticed that too. Um, but you get you still get the back and forth with Smokes and Nana. There's one point where Nana tells Smokes, "I'm not the one getting paid in food stamps." And I was just thinking, like, that seems like an illegal way for ROH to pay its performers. <laughs> Doesn't seem allowed. Um, but, um, you know, they, you know, they get so silly that at one point Homicide actually hits a double noggin knocker on Rave and Shelly, which I think is the first time we've seen the two of them do that spot and all of their silliness. Um, so that just shows how much of a baby face Homicide was here. At one point, Homicide really just escalates things very suddenly. He hits the Tope Cone Hilo on Rave, and he flies into the crowd, as he often does, and he celebrates with the crowd. And then he, you know, he, then he catches a charging Rave with a big backdrop into the crowd. And then Hayes and Smokes get into it. You know, now that I think about it, Hayes and Smokes would be a good team. You know, um, didn't didn't <laughs> occur to me been for the Vulture Squad. Yeah, it didn't occur to me until I just said that just now. Um, haze and smokes. All right. Anyway, um, but you know they 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 do their chop battles with Homicide and Shelly. Shelly gets an eye poke. Um, Shelly at one point throws Homicide into a Prince Nana clothesline. Eventually things slow down. Shelly gets to be in his glory. He cuts off the ring. He knocks Reyes off the apron. And one of the weird things about this match is that they build up to a Ricky Reyes hot tag, which is um, you know you'd think that's the opposite of what they would do, right? You yeah. think they would think they would make homicide the person that people are waiting for and not Ricky Reyes since he's not that over. And so Reyes' hot tag is, as you might expect, not so hot. Um, and the crowd wasn't so excited for the hot tag. And it's, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't blame the crowd for this because when have you seen a crowd be excited for Ricky Reyes during this run? I, I you know, I know that sounds mean, <laughs> but like, just like factually speaking, right? Like, hasn't he's really He's the happened. least over person in this match. And, and he's getting the hot I mean, tag. that's, that's an understatement, right? Like, yeah. um, 
But, you know, so eventually it comes down to after Nana's been interfering repeatedly, um, Ray and Reyes locks in the dragon sleeper uh, on Rave and Shelly tries to stop him. Homicide grabs Shelly and they roll out of the ring. So Nana comes in and rakes Reyes's face to break up the hold. The referee doesn't see that. But then Rave gets his own dragon sleeper on Reyes and Smokes comes in to pull him off and the ref sees that and disqualifies the Rottweilers. So the embassy win. Um, so like I said, I probably like this match more than most people. Like I don't think it was good, but I, I enjoy the personalities involved. Um, it was kind of, you know, a little bit meandering, a lot meandering. Um, not no intensity really, but I, I hated the finish too, because not just for the obvious reason that it's a screwy finish, but also as we pointed out on the show a million times, they never interfe- they never disqualify people in ROH unless there's a storyline reason for it. Like there's never like people interfere all the time in ROH in front of the referee. They use weapons all the time in front of the referee and they don't disqualify. So to me that makes it extra stupid when they do it in a situation like this. Um so that's sort of how I feel about the match. <laughs> Yeah, I'm more like, I guess, everyone else. Not that you love this match. I I thought this match was kind of a mess. It uh, never really develops any kind of flow. It's kind of disjointed. There is a bit of embassy comedy, but not as much as you want. There's a few big spots from Homicide, but it's not as, like you were saying, it's not really a big, it's kind of meandering, not a big Asher Pack match. Although, again, Homicide did pull those few random big spots like top rope splash. I thought he absolutely murdered Jimmy Ray with a great lariat. And that Tope Conhilo is one of his better Tope Conhilos because he actually lands on his feet with a lot of momentum. And it's one of those moments I love in wrestling where you can tell he's legitimately excited that it went so well because as soon as he like lands on his feet, he like starts celebrating with the fans around him. And it's like homicide's not usually like i uh, I'm going to like, celebrate with the fans right now kind of guy but you can tell he's just so excited like man i i that went really well this time like it usually goes good that went really well and i i always love that kind of it's kind of an adorable kind of moment where it's, when someone gets caught up and like man i just killed it um the match also didn't need to be 20 minutes and then we get a very cheap finish like you said where it, it, you know, yeah, we, we talk about this a lot where this is one of the flaws of Ring of Honor as much as we love the promotion at this time. If there's one, one of the flaws of the booking is there are definitely a lot, not a lot, but semi frequently contrivances that are pretty clearly there only to serve the booking that otherwise make like make no sense. Like why would this guy get DQ'd when interference normally gets ignored and there's very rarely DQs? And because the answer, of course, is because you need this DQ to start what we'll get to afterwards, which is the whole idea of homicide is freaking out because he feels like he's being screwed again. And so he's going to start resenting ring of honor, which is going to add tension. Will he align with CZW, blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's another contrivance in the sense of, in the same way that, uh, like we were talking about earlier, like the Christian thing where he talks about like of all the people on the ring of honor DVDs, Colt Cabana impressed me the most. Like that's another big contrivance in the sense of like, he has a guy he works with in TNA that has beaten Brian Danielson before. His name is Samoa Joe. Like, why wouldn't you pick him? Why wouldn't you pick, you know, there are other guys you probably could have picked. Austin Aries has beaten, you know, because the conceit of the show was Christian could pick anybody off the roster on this show tonight to be his dream partner. You know, there are guys that have really not the guy who just lost to him in five minutes, but either way, anyway, um, 
I did think if there was one draw of this match, like you said, it, uh, it was the Nana versus Smoke stuff. I wish we could have seen more. The food stamps line was fine. You, there was, they were obviously like constantly or frequently at the very least, like talking back and forth and we couldn't hear so much. I was really disappointed by that, like you. And it made me realize, like, I wish we could have seen a embassy, uh, Rottweilers feud with the Rottweilers as the faces back when it was like the peak of both staples when we had you know Abyss with the embassy and when you had low key and a more active Rocky Romero with the Rottweilers because I think the the smokes Nana dynamic is like feels like significant here like it feels more important and more entertaining than anything that goes on in the match I think that would have been fine you could have had like a real fun distinction between like the embassy, which is always flaunting wealth and luxury, and the Rottweilers, which are always flying like just their their street roots and their like kind of grit. And they, I could, think have, and they could have tried to lure Daisy Hayes by saying that her name just makes her make more sense with the Rottweilers. <laughs> exactly. Like you know, it's funny. Like maybe the matches wouldn't have been good because I was going to say maybe the matches could have been good too, but this match certainly wasn't particularly good. But I feel like that could have been a fun feud. But instead, you know, this is the end for Alex Shelley and. uh yeah, like I, I guess it, I will just say about Alex Shelley, like he, it's sad that they're he's kind of leaving on this note because I felt like the Rave Shelley team has been a really fun part of Ring of Honor, and like and like an underrated duo. And Shelley in general, I think, is one of the more underrated guys from the first few years of Ring of Honor. Not that people didn't give him some of his due. But I just don't think he ever got quite the push he deserved, quite the the quite the respect he reserved, deserved for whatever reason. And when he and, and when he comes back for his appearances with the Motor City Machine Guns, he's a different guy, kind of like in that he kind of he 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 tones down the personality aspect a lot. Certainly, he's not a heel at that point. He's sort of just like it's like kind of like babyface matches against the Briscoes, and he's incredible. But he's much more of like a work rate guy as part of a work rate tag team. And of course, he has charisma because he always does. But this version of Alex Shelley is pretty much gone for good in terms of like, at least in terms of Ring of Honor after this. Yeah, you could say you see a bit of his humor when he's interacting with Kevin Nash and TNA. You know, you're seeing a bit more of that playful goofball Alex Shelley. But yeah, I think a lot of that was before this, too. Yeah, so yeah, maybe this is which is sad. Although Alex Shelley is such a versatile guy, like he can yeah, yeah, be yeah. that he's indie great. dream match guy. He's great as the work rate guy too. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, like I I feel like the one opportunity they really missed with Alex Shelley was uh, I we really I I think we rediscovered this doing the rewatching all the shows for through the years is he was starting to really gain some momentum from the crowd as a baby face in the matches leading up to like. Match Manhattan Mayhem, where he finally got to uh, wrestle Austin Aries for the title. Like, you know, they did that whole gimmick where, like, the Ring of Honor roster didn't trust him and stuff and, and all that. I felt like fans were starting to get behind him. And, like, I was like, oh, there's some, there's kind of an energy to him as a babyface now, and there's some juice to this. And then he loses to Aries, and he doesn't really go anywhere and then eventually they put him in the embassy and he did a great job here in the embassy like playing up his more comedic aspects and kind of helping fill out that rock that that stable when it needed it but it was very much a mid-card role and he never really got to i mean he got isolated stuff he got that world title shot against danielson but like he never got really uh, he never got his day in the sun i would say but yeah i mean it's all part of the weird relationship that roh and tna had at the time 
So uh, after the match, the crowd chants bullshit at the DQ finish. Homicide tells the kids in the crowd to cover their ears, which is strangely, like, protective of Homicide. Uh, Homicide then shouts, fuck Ring of Honor. As Homicide leaves, he shouts, I should be with CZW, for real. So we're teasing now. Maybe his own kid was in the crowd, for all we know. (laughs) But yeah, this is, you know, another classic kind of Homicide trope. The idea that Homicide, from time to time, feels like Ring of Honor is screwing him over. He's gotten, you know, that, that heel turn in 2004 is about him feeling like, he got a raw deal on like what, like a two counter, a th- something that he thought was a three. And, you know, we've seen this before. So they're kind of referencing that intentionally or unintentionally, the idea that homicide can go kind of crazy and turn on everyone if he feels like he's been wronged and he's just been wronged at this point when Ring of Honor needs him. It'll be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting though to look back because I want to know if he ever does a promo where he really clearly explains why he chooses to stick with Ring of Honor because, yeah, character-wise, he's very frustrated with Ring of Honor over and over and over and over again. It will continue to be over the next few months. So where the source of his loyalty is, I'd be curious to know how well that's explained. I don't remember it, so that's why I'm curious to see how they do it. I'm really interested about revisiting this too. Because, you know, I fondly remember the angle, but there are little details and stuff. I I wonder how – when we nitpick at that, I wonder what we'll – I'm sure we will enjoy it. But um, we join Lacey backstage who we see putting on a a T-shirt on when we hear a voiceover immediately, like just seconds into this, say, cut back to the ring, cut back to the ring. We do. We see Chris Hero and Claudio Castanelli, along with CZW referee Bryce Remsburg, jump the guardrail. They're wearing uh, – uh, Claudio and uh, Hero are wearing their Chikara Tag Team titles. They were the first Chikara Tag Team champion, so this was fresh, a whole fresh thing here. Um, the crowd chants, fuck you, Hero. Chris grabs the mic. He says, it looks like more and more people are turning their backs on Ring of Honor. The crowd chants, shut the fuck up. Hero says, Homicide's a guy who has bled Ring of Honor blood since day one, and even he's jumping ship. Homicide doesn't give a damn about Ring of Honor, and neither should you. Uh, Claudio grabs the mic, and he says, speaking of Ring of Honor, let's introduce Ring of Honor's commissioner, Jim Cornette. And uh, at this point, Hero does like a mocking limp walk to uh, mock uh, Cornette's knee injury. And Claudio points out, that, of course, Cornette's not here tonight. Claudio says, Cornette, the man who calls Claudio a deserter, isn't here because he's a coward. Claudio says, Cornette realizes Ring of Honor is a sinking ship. And Hero says Ring of Honor is a sinking ship because of he, him and Claudio. The kings of wrestling are here in Ring of Honor, and things are never going to be the same. At this point, BJ Whitmer and Adam Pierce run to the ring, and the match is on. It's the kings of wrestling, Chris Hero and Claudio Castanelli, making their debut in Ring of Honor as that tag team, defeating Adam Pierce and BJ Whitmer in 14 minutes, 21 seconds, when Hero pinned Pierce after a double-team Hero's welcome, where uh, Claudio held the legs as uh, Hero did the Hero's welcome, uh, like uh, spitting neckbreaker type move um, um did you um did, did you find that the audio was just terrible for that hero and claudio promo like muffled and like you hear random fans over claudio like the audio on the show was weird because the first half of the show like there was like a weird like like the the announcers weren't coming out of like the like you know like both like feed like stereo feeds like and it was yeah it, and then it got fixed sort of in the middle but this the audio on this promo was pretty bad too yeah, that's a, I forgot to mention that. That's such a great point, Matt, because um, there was like crackling. Like, yeah, for all the reasons you said, Matt just said, audio was really bad, like historically bad on like, you know, in some ways on the third, third, third of the show, I would say. And then it fixes itself. And I thought, well, you know, we, I used to have the DVDs for these. We use downloaded, um, rips for these because I sold off a lot of my collection before we even started doing this show. Um, 
and so, so occasionally, you know, you might just get a bad rip. So I thought maybe I'm crazy. But then looking at reviews of the show, listen to the honorable mention guys, like apparently this was just a DVD that had audio problems. And like, so in addition to all the other problems on the show, this just like, not since that early Ring of Honor show where Steve Carino sounded like he was doing the commentary from a phone booth or something, like, has there been necessarily like this bad of like commentary audio on Ring of Honor? Show? Although, as Matt said, it does kind of resolve itself. I, I don't know, maybe a third to a half of the way through the show, but at this point, still not good. Um, so yeah, first Kings of Wrestling tag match in Ring of Honor. If you never saw Kings of Wrestling, they were one of the real better indie tag teams of their era. They were really starting to catch on. More there, there was Chikara. also like I just want to mention something about the Kings of Wrestling because they're sort of like different eras of the Kings of Wrestling. Like in two thousand and five and two thousand six, they were like really good wrestlers, but they had like a really big like silly streak. Like, they did a lot of, they, they, like, one of their big, like, heel shticks was that they would do a lot of overly convoluted moves with, like, flips and, like, like, grabbing each other and, like, swinging over just to, like, do a kind of a simple move. And, like, you know, they do, like, this, this pose where they walked around on their knees. Like, they would do a lot, just, like, a lot of wacky, goofy stuff. And, you know, they were also just, like, super great technical wrestlers and athletic. And obviously, they were Claudio Castagnoli and Chris Hero. So, obviously, they were really good. But then, like, later on in ROH, uh, when they would get back together, they were just became the super serious, like, badass, hard-hitting, like, wrestling tag team. And both eras are fondly remembered. But this is firmly in the we're going to get heel heat by being ridiculous era. Yeah, and I would say this has worked like a tornado tag There's, for some reason. They don't really tell you. There's both the Ring of Honor ref and the CZW ref, so it's a two-ref match. Again, they don't really tell us why this is happening this way. And um, I, w- I would say this is not a bad match. This was an above-average match. I enjoyed myself, but I would say this is an example, in my opinion, of Ring of Honor, something Ring of Honor would occasionally do, which was they would book a, a, a an act that was – like had buzz and then they would not put them in a position to really do what they do best because I feel like Adam Pierce and BJ Whitmer were not the teams. I mean, not that they have a bad match, but here on Claudio as the Kings of wrestling at this point, going to like the era you were talking about, like I, this was the one era where I was really watching Jakar regularly as well. That was like my other indie at this point, because Jakar was really doing really good stuff at this point. And, um, you know, Claudio and hero were really good as a team as like, being a base to young small uh, to small high flyers and fast wrestlers and also being able to do some athletic stuff and the goofy stuff kind of fit in better in that context and so doing kind of just like a serious more physical brawl with P- Adam Pierce and BJ Whitmer like it just feels like it it's not a bad match but it's not showcasing why these guys had so much buzz like I think if I hyped up to a friends like oh Kings of Wrestling are one of like the hottest tag teams right now and I showed them this match if this was their first experience they'd be like I don't see why like it's not bad but you, why are you so high on them because you don't really get to see it um you know they do some of their wacky double teams which again seems kind of a little bit odd in the context of like a serious CZW Ring of Honor Blood Feud, like they do their, but some of their stuff, like the Kings of Wrestling, their moves were like, they they towed the line between ridiculous and awesome. Like to me, like stuff like where Hero will monkey flip Claudio into doing a spear in the corner on somebody else, like that's kind of ridiculous, but kind of awesome too. Um, 
and, and I was also shocked. This was most of this match is, is just domination by uh, the Kings of Wrestling. It's almost like a semi squash for a lot of it. It's it's Hero and Claudio um, dominating Whitmer, and then Adam Pierce on the outside. And then he keeps trying to get in the ring and they keep just punching him off the ring apron. And then the final few minutes he comes in and they trade more moves and it get, you know, things heat up. The heel ref thing comes into play a few times, most notably when Bryce Remsburg jumps in to stop a sure three count by Todd Sinclair and incorrectly say that it was only a two count. Um, Pierce really worked hard here. I thought he busted out a tope, a missile drop kick, his top rope splash. Like this was one of those matches where Pierce is trying to hit like every big high spot flying move he can do. And he can do a few of them. Those are the three and he can do them well, pretty well. And then eventually Todd Sinclair takes a bump. Necro Butcher runs in wearing a Chikara t-shirt and uh, he runs into interfere for the final minutes with minute with the announcers pointing out that Necro's not even scheduled to be here tonight. He's supposed to wrestle only tomorrow night against Samoa Joe. And then the crowd chants for Samoa Joe, but he never comes out. Whitmer takes a big table bump where uh, I believe uh, Hero, Chris Hero puts him in a cravat as he stands on the top rope and then throws him off the top through a table at ringside. Pierce takes the loss in the ring, to, loses the match. I'd say slightly above average, maybe too long on the beatdown. And again, I don't think it's like the best showcase for the Kings of Wrestling. Yeah, I I really didn't like this at all. I, I thought it was the worst match of the CZW feud so far. Um, and probably my least favorite match on the show up to this point, honestly. Um just it was just so formless. Like it was just like like and you know there was a there was a point early where the crowd was starting to actually get into it. They were chanting "Let's go Whitmer," but it just went like it just went so long with the same thing over and over again. And like you said, just the you know beat down on Whitmer that you know sometimes it looked like they were just standing around figuring out what to do next. Um, and you know kept knocking Pierce off off the apron, and you know and there was even one point where. Um, where Claudio or BJ, when he does his comeback, he hits an exploder on Claudio, but it goes so wrong that like BJ almost can't get him up and drops him down at this terrifying angle on the back of his head and neck. And I was amazed that Claudio was okay after that. Like it was scary looking. So even and I don't know whose fault it is, but you rarely see Claudio like he's such a professional. Like it's rare to see him like in a move where he does can't, almost can't get over. You yeah. know, on a suplex. Yeah, it was it was scary. So so you add that into it, and it's just like, I don't know. I just I just found this match incredibly disappointing. Like just so messy and formless that it was just like barely even entertaining. So I I, I give this match a big thumbs down. I would if I was going to give this match a star rating, I would go like one star, star and a half. It just like it. I I thought it was bad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so one of those rare examples you dislike him much more. Not that I loved it. And the other thing we didn't even mention, Matt, this is another one of those things where things that just suit the booking. We are two weeks removed from a weekend that was built around, to some degree, BJ Whitmer has a broken neck and is wearing a neck brace that shouldn't even be wrestling. No mention of that here. No mention of it, which honestly at least is more true to the way they're presenting him. So. <laughs> almost that's better than keep saying that he has a broken neck while doing everything he otherwise would have done. Like BJ Whitmer gets grabbed by the neck in a cravat and thrown by his neck through a table. 
no mention of it. It's now now BJ Warmer's back to just I'm a guy who takes crazy bombs, not I'm the guy who's risking his life. Which I guess is like yeah, it's better probably for just like you're gonna have him take a crazy bump every show. Maybe you shouldn't act like he's on the verge of death because that becomes ridiculous. But yeah, just completely dropped. So. After the match, Hero says they're not done when Samoa Joe's music hits and out he marches to the ring in street clothes. Uh, the kings of wrestling drag Necro Butcher out of the ring as Joe enters it. They're holding him back. Necro really wants to fight Joe. They're at this point scheduled to phase off the next night. Joe just stares them down from inside of the ring as the crowd chants pussy at Team CZW. Uh, <clears throat> Joe grabs the mic and he says he believes everyone in this building is calling them a bunch of pussies. Team CZW leaves and Joe says it looks like the gynecology convention left, which which yeah, way, I, I didn't. I mean, that's such a random line. Is that does that just does that just mean like they're pussies? Is that why he's calling it a gynecology convention? <laughs> like, what's, which is weird because like yeah, it's like only tangent. Also, uh, but then it just started making me think of like what if Necro Butcher was a gynecologist? That would be a. It, it was a bizarre mental image I started to come up with. Um, okay, yeah. so what are so what are you imagining exactly, Trevor? No, just kidding. <laughs> Doctor Butcher is here to. Uh, to check you for uh, cervical polyps. But um, he said tomorrow they're going to have an old-fashioned fight. Joe says this to he and Necro. And it's just going to be him and Necro. Spoiler, it's not going to be. Um, he says this is Ring of Honor and they are professional wrestling. So it's interesting. that uh, re- This is the things you kind of forget and the things you learn when you do re- the research and read all the newsletters again and stuff. You know, I thought this was like an odd – we'll get to the other uses of Joe. Kind of an odd, minimal usage of Joe on the show. Well, according to The Observer, this was not planned because um, Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer, Necro Butcher came out to lead to a beatdown until Samoa Joe uh, did a run-in and said that Ray Vaughn was all about wrestling. Joe was never advertised for the show. So this is like – I don't know if this was always planned, but like I guess Joe was unadvertised. I guess maybe not to d- disappoint the fans because what you get from Joe, if you can't show thing, oh, I'm going to see Samoa Joe do Samoa Joe stuff, you don't get a lot. But it's kind of amazing that this show, this is the rare Ray of Honor show, I guess, at this time that Samoa Joe was not advertised for. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, they, they, they talk like they, they kind of booked Long Island, um, as like the TNA town, like where they would try to play to their TNA fandom. So you'd think that they would highlight Joe in Long Island because he was a big star in TNA at this time, but no, I guess not. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, if you look at the show too, like, this is a show where it's very much a B show where in terms of a draw, like Christian just being in Ring of Honor is doing is it's like the only selling point. Like, yes, the Briscoes versus Aries and Strong in singles matches is, is intriguing, but I don't think those are the kind of matches that are getting a ton of fans to buy tickets on their own. They're kind of the matches you're happy to have on the card when there's a big match drawing. It's like Christian really just and not even a singles match, just like a a tag match where the participants aren't announced other than it's gonna be Danielson on one side, Christian on the other. Like this is a pretty thin card other than other than that. Right down to no announced Joe. But then um I would say so, yes. This is a thin card, I would agree. <laughs> Uh, we then get an ad for Ring of Honor's usual uh, merch sell- website, and then we go to Delirious backstage. He's sitting down wearing a hoodie. He cuts a promo in Delirious gibberish where occasionally you can make out a word like Danielson. He's yeah. angry. We can tell that. This is – I think he – as as he gets more pushed, his promos are very slightly less gibberish heavy. Like, you know, still gibberish, but like you – like he makes it so you can make out words, whereas I think in some of his earlier promos – it was just like complete nonsense. 
it's like occasionally I've seen like comic books or things like where they try and do like how a dog hears. I think there was a comic book that did this, and it would be like when they would see the word bubbles of the humans, almost every word would be like gibberish, except for the words they would recognize, like food or walk or stuff like that. And I feel like Delirious cuts his promos like that. Like he just, yeah, especially like you said, as he goes forward, he will sprinkle in just enough words you can understand. So you kind of get a, a color, a taste of what he's intending you to think where, um, anyway, Delirious is angry. He ends by saying ring of honor world heavyweight champion. So we get, you know, He's cutting a promo. He's going to face Danielson tomorrow night. So after the intermission, we get Samoa Joe defeating Apocalypse via pinfall in six minutes, 29 seconds after he hit the muscle buster. This was one of those squashes that was taped for ROHvideos.com. That also Which, yeah, I find DVD. it so funny. I find it like, like this is like they're going to put this on ROH videos to accomplish what exactly, but okay. Yeah, like do do fans need an introduction to Samoa Joe? And is this like a better introduction than just giving away like a classic old Samoa Joe match or maybe a DVD you've sold already a lot of like if you're worried about cannibalizing your DVD sales? But um, so in case you haven't heard, you know, Apocalypse, Victor from the Ascension in WWE, he had done a, a few uh, dark matches in Ring of Honor, a couple at least before then. This is his first uh Proper match on, uh, I believe, on a show that made the DVD. I was wondering, like, looking at his cage, I was like, oh, why do, why do you, like, work, like, a month in, in Ring of Iron in the Indies and then disappear? And back to Canada, Stampede Wrestling, he, he was an Alberta wrestler. And then uh, listening to Honorable Mention, they explained that this was a uh, Apocalypse did something that I guess – I've heard of a few wrestlers over the years have, have done, which was you're trying to break into the north, northern northeast Indies, that that hot scene at the time. You would like stay somewhere for like a month and work a bunch of shows and hope you catch on. And I believe they said that he was actually staying with Brian Danielson for a month, and this was during that period. So, well, that would help. Comes, that would help get you in the door. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So he, you know, he's working for Ring of Honor for this month, and then he just disappears, and then he kind of is back to Canada until it's time for a. Uh, WWE to come calling, but um, yeah, this was like all the matches take for there. It's basically a short squash, and uh, Joe gives him a bit, but most of the matches pre non the script with a pretty middling pace. Apocalypse shows off a little agility, including a nice spinning kick that catches Joe right in the head. Uh, Joe hits a few, few of his usual trademark moves, but the real highlight of this match is Joe telling an overzealous fan that's chanting for Joe to kill Apocalypse to calm down. And then Joe, and then later on the match, I liked, uh, uh, Joe hits his senton to Apocalypse, but he catches like Apocalypse low and Apocalypse thinking on his feet sells his dick. And, uh, <laughs> Lenny says, uh, um, diplomatically that, uh, Apocalypse took the move to, let's just say his upper thigh region. So, um, I also liked in the commentary at one point, Lenny says, um, uh, Apocalypse is a talented wrestler from Calgary, but he outright also like says he's not the caliber Joe usually faces. So, um, <laughs> this was basically just sold as like this is a tune-up match for Joe. But what do you think about it? Yeah, they say like they say it's extra. It's an extra tune-up because Prazak said that Apocalypse kind of looks like Necro Butcher, which I don't know if I agree <laughs> with. Um, they both have beards and long hair, but um, 
Yeah, as far yeah, I mean, I I almost think like they were being very generous to Apocalypse here by giving him as much as they did. This should have been even more of a squash than it was based on their their standings. Um, and it's not like Apocalypse was doing anything so interesting. Um, in fact, at one point he even slows things down into a chin lock, which I was like, in a short ROH match against Samoa Joe, wouldn't you be trying to impress and not do a chin lock? And and I, I get the ideas like in one of the in some of these matches, you do a chin lock because it gets the crowd behind the babyface. And it sort of worked for like a split second here, and then the crowd is just so lethargic that they stop their clap early, and Joe has to like bang the mat to get them to start to start yeah. um, clapping like, again. And it's like I want it to be like, oh my god, he tapped out because he was banging the mat to get them to start clapping again. But it was just like, oh, Long Island, what are we going to do with you? Um, and then. Um, you mentioned the senton spot. Part of the reason that Joe hit it low was because Joe always does the move where he hits the atomic drop, the big kick, the senton. But after the big kick, I guess Apocalypse didn't realize, and he started like rolling away. And Joe was just like, all right, I'm just going to run, chase this guy and hit my senton however I can. And so so Apocalypse wasn't like in the appropriate position to take the senton. And that's why it went awry the way it did. Um, but yeah, this was uh, pretty boring. I am so glad you mentioned that too, that, that, that Joe having the mat, because I, I, I forgot to make a note of that in my notes, but I, I thought that was really noble too, because, you know, I always feel so bad for wrestlers when they do the, it was more acceptable and more normal in the, like the old days of wrestling, but like in modern wrestling, when wrestlers do the, like the crowd isn't giving me enough of a reaction, so I'm going to start slapping the mat, which is basically me, basically me telling the fans, like, could you start clapping for me? It's like Joe almost never has to do that. And to see him do that, I was like, man, this is just that kind of show where even Joe is like, Come on, guys! Can you give me something here? Uh, you know who's good. You know, you know who's really good about that is Alice in Danger. She does a really good job in, in Daniel's corner of getting the crowds to start their little claps. Yeah, and that's good too because it's more acceptable for a manager, right? Like a manager yeah. should be trying to rile up the crowd and being like, "Come on, help out my guy," as opposed to when the wrestler themselves does it. It's almost like you know, I don't know if you're my wingman and we're trying to like impress a couple girls on a double date. You know, I want you to compliment me, Matt. I don't want to compliment myself. That's going to make boy, me look boy, egotistical. Boy, should you not use me in that role, Trevor? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there are some like famous wrestlers that would do better in that situation than me. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that is a reference for hopefully one other person might get what that reference is. Anyway, um, Mark Briscoe uh, defeats Roderick Strong via pinfall in 15 minutes, 49 seconds after he hit the cutthroat driver. So this is the first of our two Briscoes versus Aries and Strong singles matches, setting up that the next night we're getting the tag title match between the two teams. Uh, Matt, what do you think? of This is our third from the top match. Um, so... This is another match that I think is remembered by anybody who remembers it as being remarkably unentertaining um, and disappointing. And I wouldn't go that far. I think as far as a wrestling match, this was the best match of the show so far. But like it didn't live up to what it could have. I think it started out really well. Like I think like there was just like really solid wrestling. And I just think like it lost the plot throughout like besides i think the crowd wasn't really reacting well but i think they just they didn't have a good story to tell it was just sort of like they were hitting each other hard they kind of slowed down at different points there were some good moves done but it didn't really seem to have much of a flow um and 
you know, I actually, um, you know, and I think it was, you know, mainly done to get over that Mark was able to beat Jay. I mean, Mark was able to beat uh, Roderick, which, you know, plays into the fact that they have a tag title shot the next night. But, um, you know, like, they, they have some good stuff throughout. Like, besides the early stuff, um, we have Mark missing the shooting star press and Roderick hitting the sick kick and then going, he goes for a really deep stronghold. And I was actually, you know, Mark made the ropes, like, and, you know, at, at watching the match uh, live, this was, that was pretty surprising. I didn't expect that. And then Mark winning with the cutthroat driver for the clean win, I thought was a pretty good finish, but it just sort of, I don't know, it trailed off it through too much throughout the match. So I thought it started well. I thought it ended well. But I thought the middle of the match was fairly dull, um, especially compared to what I would have expected from these two. Roderick did hit very, very, very hard in this match, though. Um, he did live up to his uh, his uh, reputation for that. Um, this felt like a match we saw a lot more of in 2005, Ring of Honor, where we got to if, uh, that we saw. We're, it feels like we're seeing this less in 2006, where it's a match that looks like on paper, like it should be pretty damn good and it gets a quite an amount of time but in reality it's just kind of decent like i would agree i think this i think we're right simpatico on the quality of this match like i would say this is a low good and the best match on the show so far while still being disappointing but it's one of those matches where there's not a lot wrong with it there's not a lot right to it i i guess i would say there's wrong to it in the sense of it just doesn't really have an urgency it's just kind of dull yeah, it doesn't have a lot of story or emotion. Um, the final few minutes they do uncork some big moves, and the and the quiet crowd gets a little bit into it. But even something, it's yeah, it's one of those matches where things just seem missing. I do, um, I do think this is a match where if the crowd is a little better, this match would be a little better. Oh, I, I thought like the things that I stood out to me aren't like good parts of the match, like. The fact that Roderick Strong's nose gets busted open and he gets the Charlie Chaplin, Adolf Hitler, Michael Jordan weird commercial face where like he has the the mustache of blood just over like and I realized the weird thing is like we are one member of Generation Next from like every member of Generation Next getting their nose busted open in like the last five or six Ring of Honor shows we've watched yeah. because I feel like this is like I gotta go back and check, but I feel like this might be like seven or eight consecutive shows where somebody gets their nose busted. Yeah, yeah, because we we had the on during the uh, the big triple shot weekend. It was like consecutive shows where Seidel breaks his nose and then Austin Aries gets his nose badly busted up. And now we're just a few shows later, and now it's Roderick getting it. So like, if Jack Evans, if Jack Evans, whenever he makes his return, like gets his nose bloodied, that's like a secret crazy Ring of Honor thing that no one knows about. But uh, it, I'm sure it won't be. But that would be weird if like all of the, if there's there was just some kind of like final destination, but for nosebleeds in wrestling where it just. <laughs> it, they have to get them all, but um, so yeah, that was like the notable thing. And, oh yeah, here's the other notable part of this match to me, Matt. Um, at one point on the floor, uh, Roderick Strong whips Mark into the barricade, and a fan's like not expecting that, and he's holding like a beer that's pretty full, and he spills the beer all over himself, and Roderick seems like so apologetic, and he like fist bumps the guy, <laughs> like he was like, "Man, I'm sorry, man." I mean, you... but the guy is like laughing, he's like taking it well. But I've rarely seen a wrestler like in that moment be like. Seemingly as an apology, almost to the point where I was like, does Roderick know this guy? Because he seems kind of bummed that he just cost this guy like half a beer. But, I think maybe um, Ro- Roderick, again, I don't know him, seems like, especially in this era, may may have been the type of guy that really took seriously somebody being <laughs> able to have their entire beer. 
Also good was after the match, uh, you can see Green Lantern fan giving Roderick a roll of toilet paper to clean his bloody nose with. Yes, yes, that was, that was sweet. But I will say this. As far as the crowd, this is when the crowd, like live, was really starting to piss me off. You can't really hear it on the, uh, on the DVD as much, but during these matches, like the Briscoes matches, you were getting a lot of like random obnoxious crowd chants. Like I remember like someone was chanting for like gold dust and like stuff. It's just like stuff that had nothing to do with what was going on. Like you even heard some boring chants, you know, just the sort of stuff that you don't typically get at ROH shows. And, you know, there's a lot of indicators that this was not a typical ROH crowd other than the usuals in the front row. And, uh, that was one of them. Yeah, this is very much a crowd like the Gangrel stuff. It's felt like just like a references crowd, which whatever people didn't like about Ring of Honor fa- crowds, usually Ring of Honor crowds, even at their worst, weren't that kind of crowd. That was just like, I'm going to shout, you know, hey, remember that thing you did? Like, at least right. not like so. Right. Like, I mean, the, wor- any, the worst, like, the worst of the worst of an indie crowd, like of just somebody like, oh, wrestling's in town. Let me go yeah. and and talk about the famous wrestling while I watch the not famous wrestling, you know? Yeah. So uh, next we go backstage to the Lacey promo that was interrupted earlier. Uh, Lacey says, Jimmy Jacobs really impressed her at the last show. Jimmy won just like Lacey asked him to do, and she sees potential in him. And that's why this weekend she sent him off for some extra training. So he's not working this weekend. Lacey points out, though, that that means no one's here to tell her how great she looks in this skimpy new outfit she's wearing. Uh, Lacey says, if Jimmy keeps pulling out wins like the one he had the last show he worked, you never can tell what's going to happen. So at this point, we're just continuing this vague story. Like we're in this weird middle ground of the Jimmy loves Lacey storyline where like definitely started off hot once they like lucked into the great Jimmy Jacobs like music video and that, that concept caught on and we'll get into like more meat of it later. But right now we're just in this weird middle ground where like the whole storyline seems to just to be. Lacey keeps saying, like, if you do well, I'll get naked in front of the world. Like, <laughs> which is just, I don't know. This yeah. is for someone that, like, the story, like, before her character's always been, like, how she's very judgmental towards men, you know, often rightfully so, and, like, how they're all disgusting. Like, the idea, like, oh, I'm going to get naked for everyone if you just keep winning these mid-card matches. Like, doesn't quite seem, like, cohesive for her character, but... I think the idea is she's still trying to manipulate him as yeah. a... Po- but- you know, I think there's not really a lot of advancement in this storyline for a while at this point. Yeah, we're kind of in a holding pattern. That brings us to the uh, semi-main event. Jay Briscoe defeated Austin Aries via submission in 18 minutes, 16 seconds, when he made Aries quit using the Cobra Clutch, or as uh, Lenny Leonard always would call it, the Shinanamaki. Uh, this was easily the best match on the show up to this point, and I'll, I'll tip my hand a little bit and say this. I, in my opinion, this was the best match of the night. I put this on the board between good and very good, like three and a half to three and three quarter stars. It's not like a, it's not a match that you need to uh, go out of your way to see, or it's not even that super memorable. But like on this show, I will take a match this good. Um, the first reason this match is I thought was that good was. It had what the previous match was missing, which was intensity. Like, before the match even starts, Aries is taunting Jay, like, being like, you're never going to get closer to the tag title than this, you know, all this stuff. They're just jawjacking. There's palpable anger between the two. You know, Jay Briscoe's paintbrushing the back of Aries' head. You know, like, they're, they're just – they're doing what you should do when you're trying to build up a feud, which is they're just doing those little extra touches to show, like, hey, we – dislike each other and as the match gets more into the moves they kind of lose some of that intensity but they still give you enough of it at the start that i i appreciated that um they lay it in a fair bit like jay has some pretty big welts from on his back from early on 
Um, eventually, Jay starts working on Aerie's shoulder. Then we get to the other thing that I thought made this match a little – gave it a little more zest, which was uh, he does a whole host of, like, inventive offense targeted on Aerie's shoulder that you usually don't see from Jay Briscoe. Like, Jay suplexes Aerie's while he holds onto a hammerlock. He, uh, he does a spinning to hold, but he does it, like, on the arm instead of the leg. He does, like, a TKO, but instead of landing in a cutter, he, like – lands where he's hurting Aerie's shoulder. He does a Falcon arrow, but he does it like over where over his knee, where Aerie's shoulder like lands over his knee, like all this neat, like just unique stuff he's doing just for this match, just for this story. And this match is not a classic or anything, but I guess what I want to say about this match is a lot of times when we complain, or uh, I guess when I complain about a match on through the years, a lot of times my complaint will be like, oh, this didn't reach my expectations. Like they just didn't go hard enough or something. And I feel guilty because I don't feel like every match in wrestling needs to be like a balls to the wall, your main event level match, especially when it's not in that spot on the card. But what I liked about this match is it kind of reminded me of like, you don't like this match. Like there's a good amount of action on this match, but it was probably not the level of intensity and the level of kickouts and big moves they would have had if it was the the main event or on a big show or something. But they didn't need to because they did things, you know, like the selling and like the intensity and you know the shoulder storyline, that inventive offense. Where like it, it was, it made me feel better about myself. That was it reminded me like, oh, you don't need to have like a crazy balls to the wall match in every moment to make me happy. It's just like make the effort to do like the simple little things that make a match a little more unique and, and stand out a bit and feel like you're a little more in the moment on whatever night you're working. And yeah, again, this match was not amazing, but more than anything on the show, it, it made the effort to kind of feel like, Oh, you're really caring tonight, you know, on a, on a very much a B show. Um, don't you think that if this match had a really hot crowd, this would be a low level, great match. Like, it, it could have been. This is this is yeah. This is a match where you know, yeah. You you notice more that oh, this is they're they're finally getting something here, and they're still not giving it a ton. Yeah, I mean they, they give it a little bit more, and I you know I agree with you about the intensity at the beginning. In fact, even like I noticed the lockup that they did at the beginning. Like I was like, oh, their their wrestling school trainers must be really proud because they gave this like stiff, like just really solid lockup. That just uh, demonstrated the friction between them, and then, like you said, the the Jay smacking Aries in the back of the head while he was in the hammerlock. All that stuff was great. Um, the one negative thing I might say, and it's not really, it's certainly nothing to do with them, um, but I think vibe wise, this was similar enough to the match before it that I almost wonder if it would have been better if they spread the two of them out, like had one of them in the first half, one of them in the second. But I guess what they were going for was. The first half was like the variety hour, and then the second half was the wrestling part of the show. Mm-hmm. So I get, but but I, but I don't know. Do you think there would have been any benefit in splitting these two matches apart from each other in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, this might have been a better opener. You, I mean, the Roderick, I mean, the Roderick Strong, um, uh, Mark Briscoe match might have worked better as an opener, maybe, especially when the crowd hasn't seen a lot. I still don't think it would have been a great match, but yeah. I, I, I guess they just probably wanted to like really send the message here of like, oh, you know, the, you'd think the Briscoes are tag team specialists, so they're gonna you know lose to Aries and Strong going into their tag match in the singles matches. But guess what? We're flipping the script, and they're both winning in singles, completely clean. You know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, right. It hammers it home when it happens two in a row. Like maybe that. they think if it happens two in a row, yeah, that it just it, it makes it more of a. Maybe they even figured that like, oh, if you had just seen Mark beat Roddy, you definitely think Aries is going to beat Jay. Instead, Jay not only beats Aries, he makes him submit. Yeah, you know? which is which is definitely rare. And yeah, I mean, there there are parts where the crowd comes alive. Like actually, they come alive for Aries slow mo replay knee drop. So that spot is definitely over at this point. But yeah, like not only is is Briscoe's shoulder work against Aries inventive it's also very well targeted it's very believable you know it, it, it adds a good storyline to the match that the first of the, these two matches was lacking and you know it just it everything just everything is just well done like there's just really no mistakes it the, the fight over like the fight over the brain buster and then Jay turns it into a shoulder breaker I really, I really like that um, you know I like how Aries would pause between moves to sell the shoulder I think Briscoe's shoulder work was good, and I think Aries' shoulder selling was good. Um, and I think, you know, that all built up to a great finish. So, yeah, I think this was a, you know, a really good match that was just, um, you know, had a subdued crowd. So I don't think it just, you got the full experience of what it could have been. But I think they did a really good job telling a simple story and working it well. Just like, yeah, just two really solid wrestlers wrestling a super solid match. Um, and I and I agree other, with you. This was the best match of the show. Like, period. Couple, couple other little quick notes. I have just looking at my notes. Uh, I, I another goofy moment I, I liked. I mean, I, I had to look for my pleasure somewhere on this night, Matt. So uh, at one point early on, uh, Jay walks to the cameraman during his entrance, and he like bumps into the cameraman, and you can apologetically just hear Jay Lee like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> I was just like, again, I I love the rest. This was a night of wrestlers being like. <laughs> very apologetic as they interact with the real world or as closer to the real world as you get on an indie wrestling show. And then I also want to just give a shout out to Austin Aries because I've, I've tried to do this one other time before, but I feel like Austin Aries, a guy I did not appreciate this era of Austin Aries enough at the time where I kind of thought Austin Aries was a little overrated. I remember when I was watching Ring of Honor at the time, not that I didn't enjoy a bunch of his work, but on a show like this, I really appreciate that. Like he is so consistent in this era where I feel like, you know, we're getting to the, in this point we've talked about recently where some guys, particularly some of the TNA guys, they're taking, you know, an occasional night half off or with a lot of these more frequent double shots. We're seeing guys kind of, and it's not like Aries is going actually absolutely 100% here, but I feel like, I can't remember the last time I've seen an Aries match where I did not feel like he was trying and giving like a really good effort for your money and pulling out a lot of his big stuff. And and even just he's always – even in this match, he's like talking to the crowd and really trying to engage them. He's always doing that. And I just felt like Aries is one of the more consistently – like just consistent workers, I would feel like, of of this era, like late 2005, early 2006. I feel you can always – even you know if he's not always in, hitting – the absolute highs of the like the matches were absolutely going most insane about on these shows like he's always giving you a really consistent effort he's learned from jack evans's 2004 2005 work how to always be entertaining at every moment yeah definitely and that brings us to the main event your dream tag team match Christian Cage and Colt Cabana defeat Brian Danielson and Christopher Daniels in 28 minutes, 25 seconds, when Cage pins Daniels after he hits an unprettier. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I should also give a little more details. The finish is Christian has Daniels um, pinned after the unprettier, and Dan- Brian Danielson's on the apron. He has the ch- he has the time. He can break up the pin, and we see him. He makes a very good 
acting double work. It's clear what he's doing. He sees Daniels that he could break up the pin, and then he decides, ah, screw it, and he just walks away and lets Daniels take the fall and lose. And it's up to you to decide, you know, is Danielson, like, just a general coward, frustrated with how the match is going, or is the idea really, like, is he terrified that if if, – because, remember, the stiff of this match was if Danielson's team won, he has to give Daniels another shot at the t- title. So he just realizes half an hour into the match, well, if I lose this match – I don't really have to do that. I mean, that is kind of, I, I, I guess that could be the logic, but either way, it kind of builds for a Daniels Danielson rematch that we never get in Ring of Honor. Yeah, so, we, uh, we, yeah and that's, that's an important point because apparently they do have a match like for the ROH title outside of Ring of Honor in the not too distant future from this. So, um, but yes, there's never another one in ROH. So, Matt, this was the match that was the draw of the show, the dream match. It was the match I would argue at this point in the show is kind of, in the position where it needs to kind of save the show. It needs to be a real home run. I guess we've already tipped our hand, but I, I think it's safe to say you probably do not think this was an absolute home run. No. Um, so first of all, if you have a mass that's going to go 30 minutes, like at this point in my life, my feeling is it's got to be one of two things. One, it's either if it's going to be 30 minutes, it's got to be fucking awesome. Or it's got to have like a really good story to it that makes the length make sense. Um, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Like, do you, would you, are you cool with just like pretty okay, unmemorable matches that go 30 no. minutes or more? Um, yeah, a, yeah. Ma- a match has to justify the time. Like, I think I made the, this analogy, like, along like the classic Trevor Dame wrestling food analogies. I made this years ago on the show. I, I think I said something to the effect of what's like, it's like mashed potatoes. So, like, if something's average or just decent or kind of bland and there's just a little bit of it, that's fine, and, and sometimes it can add to a pad out a show. But like, you don't want to eat just a plate of mashed potatoes with not even salt and pepper on it, like nothing but that. It's like if something's average, it better not be longer than like ten to twelve minutes. Exactly. Because yeah, and I wouldn't say this is like average. Like I think it's it's like it's it's pretty good, but like it's just like they're not going for the gold here. You know, it's a house show match, um, and um, you know. I guess I just don't really understand why it has to be so long. Um, you know, like one one compliment I will give, like, and this is just a general ROH compliment. That's something that I enjoyed about ROH back then is the way it, one way it differentiated itself from pretty much every other American promotion at the time. You know, in WWF in the uh, you know in the Attitude Era, really shifted the focus to where like entrances became like the most important part of the show especially during the Attitude Era. But it continued to be that way, even all the way to today, I would say. Entrances are a big, big deal. And even in ROH, they were important. But what WWE would always do is whenever there would be a tag team match between two singles with, with two single stars, they would give each person their own entrance and just like make the entrances take a long time. I like that ROH differentiated itself by if there was going to be a tag team, they would come out together, even if it meant that one of the wrestlers didn't get to have their entrance music played. And, you know, it's a little thing, but I appreciate that because I think it just shows like, okay, this is a wrestling company. The match is what's important. We're not, we yes, it's okay if we sacrifice an entrance from time to time. It's a, again, a very minor thing, but it's something that I appreciate about ROH in this era is that they do that. Um, but, as far as the match, yeah, you know, they do the thing where Danielson teases that he's afraid of Christian, so he does like there so he doesn't, you know, get in the ring with him much. Like they in, in fact, they also do a thing where 
Christian and Daniels are going to start. But then for some reason, I couldn't even figure out why. Christian immediately tagged out. and It was actually Cabana that started against Daniels. And then they do this whole thing where um, Daniels, like he does a forward roll and then he looks at Christian. He's like, that's how I roll. And everybody pops. And I think I popped too at the time because, you know, I love <laughs> puns, Trevor. Um, <laughs> Justin Shapiro. This is the Ray of show you should have forced him to go to. Yes. But then they really just go over the top with it. Everyone's rolling. Everyone's saying, that's how I roll. Even Christian does it. He's like, that's how I roll. It's like, well, that was – they're doing this for your benefit, Christian. And we even get a holy shit chant uh, uh, for the rolling. And I actually – this is the one time that I appreciate the assholes in the crowd because there's one guy that keeps yelling, please wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that guy. And you know what? It was funny because like he didn't even sound snarky. Like, like well, I, I'm sure he was, but like he sounded like he was like legit annoyed. <laughs> like he was like, "Come on!" Yeah, he it's... was so angry. Yeah. I, I felt so bad for that guy. <laughs> In fact, he was actually at certain points he was like addressing Colt directly. He's like, "Colt, yeah. please wrestle." <laughs> um, but so that they, you know, Danielson eventually comes in. You know, after Jimmy Bauer gets on the mic briefly to promote straight shooting with Christian Cage, but um, Danielson tags himself in by touching the top of Daniels's head, which was kind of a funny way to do it. But then they Danielson does kind of get focused. He gets on the mat. He does. He does. They do like a monkey flip sequence. Danielson and Colt does, but Danielson like keeps turning them into like arm bars and leg locks and triangles. So it's not just like wacky flippy doos. Um, and eventually, Danielson asks for Christian, and Cabana tags him in after about eight minutes. But then, then Danielson tags out quickly. Like I said, showing that he's you know a little bit of that heel cowardice, and the Daniels and the crowd, of course, enjoys telling Danielson that he's a pussy. So at least they're reacting to something that's going on in the ring between the rolling and the Danielson leaving the ring. Um, but no one has an advantage. It's over ten minutes in. It's just back and forth. You know, like I said, house show stally type stuff. Um, and eventually they start working over um, Christian's neck, but that doesn't really last that long. Colt comes in, and Danielson gets aggressive with him, knees, forearms. Um, Daniels comes in, Colt tries to hit the ropes, but Danielson pulls it open, causing Colt to fall to the floor, and Danielson, th- Danielson throws him into the guardrails a bunch of times. And then finally, we get the uh, control segment with Daniels and Danielson getting heat on uh, on cabana for a while and you know they do they do the quick ta- the quick tags and cutting off the ring but they show that they're like not really a smooth tag team because they argue with each other um danielson's working the leg and then when daniels isn't doing that danielson yells at him to do it so you know they're they definitely focus a lot on the tension between those two um but um eventually uh, they're working on cult for a while and Danielson does some like cool variations of the Indian Deathlock. Briefly, even turns it into the uh, side elbows to the head kind of thing. And the the hot tag is super weird here because like it's not really done super dramatically. It's like Danielson is just sort of standing between Colt and Christian, and Cabana just sort of like does like a side roll, like he's like in a football game or something. And like, you know, kind of like does a spin around Danielson and tags in Christian and the crowd's just not ready for it. So like, there's really no pop, but you know, Christian does treat it like a hot tag. 
and um, they uh, and, and you know he does a spear. Daniels breaks it up. They eventually uh, have Cabana, and Daniels out to the floor with Daniels with Cabana hitting an acai moonsault, which seems hard to do on a bad leg. So he's not selling quite as well as Ares was in the match before. But you know they do their whole you know trading big move sequence. You know, on the uh, Christian goes for the unprettier, which is the kill switch now, right? I'm not wrong about that, right? They, that is not the unprettier. That's not the yeah. prettier anymore, yes. Um, Danielson turns that into a cattle mutilation, which is a pretty logical counter, if you think about it, considering the way those moves are set up. Um, so I'm glad they did that. And then, you know, Cabana breaks that up. Christian hits that inverted DDT. Daniels distracts him. And then Danielson crotches Christian and hits the big superplex off the top rope, which Christian kicks out of. And Danielson gets in the chicken wing. And Daniel stops Cabana from breaking that up and locks in the Koji clutch, so they have kind of simultaneous submissions on, but Christian makes the bottom rope. Um, so then Christian at some at one point kicks out of the best moonsault ever, and Cabana comes in and kind of goads Danielson into accidentally roaring elbowing Daniels, and then uh, that allows Christian to hit a frog splash. Daniels kicks out of that. And then Christian goes for the unprettier, but Daniels hits him with a missile drop kick. Cabana hits the flying asshole, but then Danielson sends him to the floor. And then Christian clotheslines Danielson to the floor, and that leaves him and Daniels alone. Um, Daniels goes for the angel's wings. Christian blocks it, hits the unprettier very suddenly, pins Daniels as Danielson, like you said, waved off making the save. Um, so, you know, they do the hot finishing sequence, and it's it's pretty entertaining, but the match is just is just too long for for what it like what it was. You know, if, if they had done like ten minutes and then got to that finishing sequence, I would have been like, okay, this was a pretty nice little match. But as it was, it just felt like it went on and on and on and on and on. And I uh, I didn't think that the finish was so good that it was worth all that. So I still think you know they're all talented wrestlers. So this was a a, a fairly good match, but you know maybe three stars at most, which, you know, when you're watching a 30-minute main event with Brian Danielson, that's not good enough for me. So I'd say this did not save the show. Yeah, I, I literally look at my notes, Matt. Your last few senses are almost word for word my notes. Very slight differences. This is my first few words of my review. This did not save the show. At best, I'd say it's a fairly strong, good, like a three-and-a-quarter star match. Uh, you know, so yeah, we were uh, maybe I was very slightly higher. And the sad thing is, we're both like kind of yeah, it was good, but meh on this match. I would say this is still the second best match on the show. Like, yeah, 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 I know it is second best, yeah. which is kind of a bad sign. It's like yeah, this this kind of okay but way too long match is like the second best thing we saw. Right, like this if this is like three stars, and then the. Aries versus Briscoe match was like either three and a half or three and three quarters. And then the uh, Briscoe versus Strong match was like, what, like two and three quarters? And those are like, yeah, those are the big three on this show. Yeah. Um, so one of my problems with this match would be um, so when a big star from another promotion, especially like in the indie world or the Ring of Honor world from like a major promotion comes to Ring of Honor for a one-off or, or a guest appearance or two, you typically like – I feel like you have an expectation where you want them to feel like a big star. If anything, you – um sometimes the mistake that happens more often than not is the outside star is goes overboard and gets 
overly well presented where the, to the point where they kind of overshadow everyone else and it looks like, oh, no one else in this, in the home promotions even in my league and I'm big timing them. That doesn't really happen here. Instead, I feel like the problem's like the rarer, almost opposite problem where this is a match where like Christian feels like a supporting player in a match that should be all about him. Like, I feel like he's the least impressive. I mean, he don't, in the, he's, he doesn't tag in until eight minutes in. They do the thing, as you mentioned, where they do the typical story where Danielson doesn't cheese his wrestling Christian, but he doesn't want to until he has the advantage. And they do have a couple of extended sequences together, which are pretty good, but not amazing sequences. And Christian, you know, gets the fit, fall in the end. But so much of this match is Cabana being the face in peril. And I felt like the focus of this match really was building up more Danielson feuds. It was Danielson's tension with his own partner, Daniels, and which was directly at the end, the finish and, and happened. They built, you know, like you mentioned, they were showing tension during the match and just kind of building up Cabana for another Danielson title match. And it just felt like Christian just happened to be like the free agent that was slotted into that role. You know, I, I don't feel like you got enough Christian for the money he was not in a, like only two seconds, but I, I felt for a 28 minute match on a show that's built around Christian, you could have had more Christian in this match. We'll get to, I have some reporting about why that was probably the reason. Yeah. It was also clearly not there to be like, I'm going to prove to these ROH fans that I got what it takes to be an ROH superstar. You know, he wasn't there with something to prove. He was there to have a, you know, of, of entertaining little thingy. Yeah. It's, it's something, um, I've talked about before where I felt like a lot of ring of honor, like super legend, superstar wrestlers, they fall into two categories of they're the wrestlers who give like the BB plus performance where it's pretty good, but you can tell they're not going all out, but they're doing enough. And to me, that might be like the great Muda or like the best version of that might be Jushin Liger where that'd be like a B plus performance. And then there's like the Kenta Kobashi dragon gate guys where they're giving you, 95, 90, 100%, you know, just going all out. I felt like Christian, this was definitely a B performance, maybe even a B minus performance where he's not mailing it in, but yeah, he, like you were saying, he's, he, you do not get the impression here that he's really dying the way some wrestlers are. Like, I want that indie cred. I really want to prove it like one of the most, you know, critical crowds in the world that's kind of seen by the tastemakers like this is what i am when the shackles of sports entertainment as gabe sapolsky would love to say are taken off this this feels like no like i'm here this is another weekend for me i'm going to do enough to entertain you and i think i think that that brought down everybody else too because i think if christian came in there i was like i want to have the best match in my life right not that i'm saying he needed to do that i'm not like criticizing him or anything but like if he did that if he came in like i just want to have an incredible like if like it was kobashi where it's like i want to have the perfect match I think that Danielson and Daniels would have been game. Like they would have been like, all right, let's put together an incredible match. But if, since Christian was in there just being like, yeah, let's just have a nice, a nice match to entertain the people. I, I think that Danielson and Daniels were both like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I, I, I just want to make clear, I'm not saying like Christian's wrong for yeah, giving yeah, yeah, that. Exactly. Level. I'm not saying it's bad that he did that at all. Like, like, but as a fan, I can only judge the matches I'm given and I have to be honest and tell you that, you know, it, it's, it's a B minus performance and a B minus match. You know, you know, it's probably not the smartest for guys like Kenta Kobashi to like probably take months off his career working his butt off for 
uh, less than like 800 people, you know, in New York. But I sure appreciated it, you know. I but, mean, I mean, you know, I might, I might argue with that. I, I mean, we don't have to yeah, get yeah. into Hulkabashi, but like, I think it probably was good for his legacy that he did that. And I don't know if it really changed the course of his career all that much, one way or the other. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I just and I also thought like while Christian was not bad in this match, again, I don't want to seem like I'm beating up on Christian. I also really noticed that like. And I don't know – we'll get to it in just a second, but like I don't know how much of this is, is Christian holding back or how much of this – I kind of got this feeling like when, when he when he really did have the floor, even when he was working and kind of controlling the match, I felt like – pardon me had this thought of like, oh, this is why Christian is what he is, which is like this really good mid-card, upper mid-card guy that can occasionally be in main events. But he he's just missing that little extra – like I felt like when you watch Danielson in this match, when he's in control – he has that real look at me authority. Like he grabs your attention and he wrestles with that extra layer of confidence. Like when he's, you know, doing his usual for this era, Danielson stick, it's, you know, it's dripping with confidence. Like you're looking at me, I'm controlling this match. When Christian's doing his stuff, he doesn't really have that same kind of like, you can't take your eye off of him. He's really dictating everything that this match revolves around him. He just seems like, no, it's Christian's time to do some stuff. And he does it pretty well, but I, 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 in in this match, I think you can – if you watch this match, you will see the difference between a Brian Danielson and a Christian. Like what separates the very good from the all-time legends? I think you can see it when you watch this match. But um, – so that we can get to the notes from this match and, and uh, this can maybe tell you some things. So PW Torch wrote – Politics played a part in the decision to have Brian Danielson face Christian in a tag match on May 12th. Neither side could come to an agreement on the finish of a singles match between them. TNA is wisely protecting their champion for doing jobs on independent dates, but are still allowing Samoa Joe to do jobs despite his undefeated streak in TNA. So, yeah, that's interesting where, you know, they were okay with Joe, maybe because of Joe's legacy, or maybe they just didn't value Joe as much as Christian, or probably because Christian had the title. Oh, that's another thing we forgot to point out. Christian, despite being NWA heavyweight champion, does not bring the title to the show, leading to the crowd to chant multiple times, where's your belt? Which was another uh, funny note. And another thing I want to mention, I'm sure they were paying Christian a lot more than they were paying Samoa Joe at this point, too. In yeah, fact, exactly. In fact, I, I'm wondering if, if Joe was still on his first deal before he actually got over in, in TNA. So, you know, I, I don't know that. I don't know what the timeline of his different contracts were, but I'm sure that Christian was making more money. <laughs> But it is interesting that that sounds like Ring of Honor's first inclination was to book a singles match between the two. But yeah, Christian TNA is definitely not going to let their champion lose to the Ring of Honor champion, even though the relations were better than they were at, at some points at this point. Yeah, and I don't think and, I don't think Christian was was doing hour long draws at this yeah, point either. Yeah, I was about either. to say yeah, yeah, the other thing. And you know, if you will say, well, they could do kind of a bullshit finish. I don't think Gabe typically liked to do really screwy finishes in the main events, and you know, they had just kind of done. I think a very well done, but a slightly screwy, unsatisfying finish in the Nigel Danielson title match. So yeah, really your only options I feel like were, were probably to either do a tag match or just don't do a Christian versus Danielson kind of match at all. But um, then the observer, Dave wrote, it was Christian's only ring of honor appearance as he teamed with Colt Cabana to defeat uh, Brian Danielson and Christopher Danielson. When Christian pinned Danielson after an, an prettier in more than 28 minutes match dra- dragged to the live crowd and was described as a good 20 minute match that went 30 minutes. The fair, crowd near fair description. 
Yeah, the, the crowd nearly turned on Christian as well, and the feeling was in almost any other city they would have, but the crowd consisted of a lot of fans who came to see him particularly. He was fine, nothing like when Jeff Hardy came in, but also nothing in the other direction like Matt Hardy, who was super hot when he came in. So I thought that was an interesting comment. So Matt, you were there live. I did feel like listening to the to the um, the crowd during this match. They never turn on this match, but I definitely felt like it was one of those matches where about halfway through, you could tell like they've lost the crowd a little bit. Like like the crowd is definitely more excited in the first five minutes of this match than they are by like minute eighteen. Well, you because, know, because they they try to appease that one guy who wanted them to wrestle instead of roll. <laughs> yeah. You got to play for the but whole crowd, not just that one guy. Um, <laughs> but your memory, you know, I always hate asking you these questions because your memory, it, it's it's hard to expect. But do you remember if, like, the crowd was on the verge of turning on this match? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I think the crowd, you know, in general, just had, like, a negative attitude, like, a lot of the show. Like, so, I, I but no, I don't think they, like, in fact, by the end, I think they were getting into the big moves at the end. So, yeah. but they sure did not react to that hot tag. I will say that. I don't think Christian was as over as I thought he would be. Like I, I like he wasn't really being treated as some like huge star coming in. He was being treated like, oh yeah, Christian. Yeah, and like I, I guess because Dave kind of raised the comparison, I would say like even though Jeff Hardy's per appearance in Ring of Honor in two thousand three is like infamous for the wrong reasons, I would say even he like there was a buzz in the air for him. For he both felt like Hardy. a bigger star, just for, yeah, like yeah. you said for the wrong reasons. Yeah, that that Christian, you know, for whatever reason, d- just does not have here. Even despite the fact that he's the number one guy in TNA at this point, you know, he's about to, you know, he's the champion. He's there's a pay per view two nights later that he's main eventing against Abyss. So maybe this Long Island crowd doesn't love TNA as much as Gabe thought they did. <laughs> so then we go back to the torch. They had a headline: Christian debuts for ROH. Christian team with Colt Cabana. Blah blah blah. Uh, torch correspondents indicate Christian didn't do much as he couldn't risk injury just two days before his NWA world title defense against Abyss on the TNA Sacrifice pay-per-view. Cabana worked the majority of the match. He and Cabana did a lot of comedy where they mocked Ring of Honor champ Danielson for being pale. Christian even called him a poor man's John Cena. That's um, not he, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Wade just got the wrong notes or if someone was trying to soft sell it. Uh, or, Attempts- or Wade was like, mm, I'm not going to print that line. <laughs> exactly. Um, attendance was also said to be down from usual and quite small. The crowd was said to be flat and disruptive at times. And then Torch had one more note regarding Christian's match for Ring of Honor in Long Island. Gabe Sapolsky said, quote, Christian was great and the match really built well. Christian's performance was definitely up to my expectations and he was a pleasure to work with, which I mean, what, what else? What else is Gabe going to say? And, I'm sure I'm sure the last part was true. Yeah. And, and we should point out Christian does do one more match for Ring of Honor. At this point, it was sounding like, you know, people were wondering, oh, is this going to be his only performance? They do book him to face uh, Christopher Daniels in a one more match. So. They liked him enough to – maybe they had pre-agreed to it, just not announced it, but they liked him enough to bring him back for one more show. Yeah, I, I have um, no reason to think that Christian was anything other than a total pro uh, and pleasant to work with. But that's another interesting theory, and, and I do think that's an interesting thing that we were starting to see more of in Ring of Honor at this point, and, and a reason probably – one of the reasons why Gabe was downshifting all but the most important – guys to his promotion from TNA, which is this this notion of sometimes Ring of Honor weekends would fall on TNA pay-per-view weekends, and you might have had – maybe that's a reason why Joe doesn't necessarily – we don't get that Necro Butcher match the next night and stuff like that. Maybe, like, maybe, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, there's – um, 
we're getting to the point where these TNA wrestlers have to be kind of booked with a bit more kid gloves if you fall on a pay-per-view weekend because these wrestlers are going to be concerned. Like uh, maybe that's a re- I, I believe Shelley works the TNA pay-per-view, but he does not work the next night for Ring of Honor. So yes. it's the idea of these wrestlers are like concerned about injuries. And if they do right. get minorly banged up, they're not going to go stick their neck out for Ring of Honor because TNA is now the number one priority for them. Yeah, and I should have said definitely maybe for the Oasis reference, but um, <laughs> either way. And again, not blaming the wrestlers, but it's just the thing where I imagine Ring of Honor is probably getting to the point where it's like, unless it's a Samoa Joe level legend of this company, do we really want to be booking guys that are going to give some weekends – 75%. Yeah, 80%. no, I mean, ROH is built on the fact that they have the top quality wrestling. And it's like, no matter how big of a star somebody is, like, if they can't give ROH level performances, then they can't be the top star in ROH. Like, it's just like, they made, they set this precedent very early where they had, you know, they were like, they're not just going to book, you know, like the usual, like, former big names from the indies, um, you know, that used to be in, like, WWE or whatever, because they're selling work rate and great matches. And they have to be able to book guys who are willing to have great matches for them. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're not given your hardest effort. And, you know, I totally support wrestlers saving their bodies. And that's, and especially when you have a more important gig, like higher paying, whatever, more high profile. But ROH has to do what they have to do and they have to promote the guys that are going to give them the DVD selling matches. See, until TNA rose to this level of prominence, Raymar was really in a lucky position because of the, just the way the wrestling scene was at this point for the first two years where unless wrestlers like had tours of Japan until they signed with WWE for the first few years of ring of honor, like ring of honor, if you worked for them really was your number one priority. Like if anything, you were canceling bookings and slouching for shows before ring of honor. Yep. You know, to, to get to the Ring of Honor event. And so Ring of Honor was never up to this point in the position where wrestlers had to choose. Like the choice was, oh, WWE signed me, so I'm going to be gone forever. Or, okay, after this show, I'll be in Japan for three weeks. But it was never, oh, I've got a bigger show the next night, so I'm going to take it easy. And this is the first time, this is the first era where we're seeing guys that are – they're now Ring of Honor is for once like not the 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 crown jewel of a lot of guys' schedules. It still yeah. is for a bunch of them, right? Well, I but mean, not I mean, everyone. they you know Aries and Strong definitely showed their loyalty to ROH by the, from that uh, that show in February with the Storm, and they got into trouble for it with TNA. So um, you know, I know that ROH definitely appreciated that. Yeah. So. Um after the match, Christian grabs the mic and he says, this disproves Danielson's theory of being the greatest wrestler and champion in the world today, which I know Dan- – I mean Christian is just trying to be a – like stick it to the heel. But that line, you're in Ring of Honor, so I felt like that was kind of like a slightly dickish thing. Like you're not the greatest champion in the world today. It's like, well, he's the Ring of Honor champion and you are in Ring of Honor. But um, he, he goes, you are the whitest human being though. I love that's the only thing they have to mock Danielson. Yes, like yes, you're doing yes. good – if the only thing you have is something that you could correct, like if the only flaw you have is something that you could correct by going to a tanning booth for 45 minutes, like you're, you're doing pretty good. Um, Danielson leaves without shaking hands, but everyone else does. Dan, Christopher Daniels, in fact, does raises Christian and Cabana's hands very graciously. Uh, Christopher Daniels then gets on the mic and he says, for the past four years, he's been a part of the of Ring of Honor and TNA. A few fans boo, and then Daniels stops and he goes, no, no FTNA, no F Ring of Honor. No he one says, was chanting the- F Ring of Honor, Daniels. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he tracked like it's equal. He says, this is about the best wrestlers in the world today putting their lives on the line and giving them the respect they deserve. So the crowd at this point, he kind of bullies them he, into giving them uh, an ovation. 
Christian starts to fall on Angel Chant for his buddy Daniels. And that's what we end in the ring. We go to a uh, backstage for a BJ Whitmer and Adam Pierce promo segment. A frustrated Adam Pierce wonders how many times they're going to get their asses kicked. Pierce says it doesn't matter. They will never surrender. He says he doesn't know what side homicide's on, but that what they do know is tomorrow night, Pierce and Whitmer are coming for a fight. He challenges the CZW guys to bring a crew. Samoa Joe then walks into frame and he says they're not the only ones up for a fight tomorrow night. And I felt like that this was the, the first time in the CZW Ring of Honor feud where we were kind of just like reheating things. Like it felt like even with the brawls, like they were building this idea of, oh, Pierce is really getting frustrated that they keep losing. And then they had the one where, you know, they, they, BJ beats Super Dragon, they throw him out. And I thought, oh, like this is like the turning the tide. And then it felt like here they're just like, they're just filling time to the next big moment in the feud. Like well, they're right back to, oh, we lost and we got our asses kicked and we're getting pissed off. Well, they, they had to stall for one night. So I think it's okay. Yeah. But that's that, that that that's the show, and uh, this is crazy, Matt. Um, I think we agreed that uh, the milestone series lived up to our memories and lived up to the hype, where every show was at least pretty darn good, and some of those shows were some of the best shows we've ever seen from Ring of Honor. That's like the best run of Ring of Honor shows in history, I would say. And now, two of the first three shows after the milestone series, the Weekend of Champions Night One, and then this show are like two of the most underwhelming shows I can remember we've covered on through the years. Like, I wonder, like, I was going to ask you, not only do you, what do you think of the show, but do you think that there's a connection? Like, do you think it's just a coincidence or do you think there is just something of a letdown maybe in the booking and in the performances when you have just that many major shows? And then this is the first shows after that, you know, I mean, we got champions night too. was, was a very good show, but maybe it's not a coincidence that two of the first three shows after that big series of shows that they put so much into, they save so many big things for, Turn out to be two of like the worst shows we've seen in quite some time. It's it's not a coincidence. Um, I think you're going to see this even more pronounced after Glory by Honor in the fall. There is a pretty extended lull in the quality of the shows in the fall of 2006, um, and um, this is just a couple of week shows. Now I will say this about how we roll. Um, it's a bad show by ROH standards, but I actually think it's very, very, very marginally better than I remembered it. Um, very marginally. Um, I remember going to the show and being like, oh my god, this is like so bad that I don't even know if I like Ring of Honor anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh my god. And, th- and then I went to the show the next night and it was like, oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> so like they – course cor- like this was – I think besides just like the – Kind of like the the natural letdown after they put a lot into big a big series of shows is we're seeing the results of having these double shots all the time because if you notice the last week show was the first half of a double shot this is the first half of a double shot and you're going to see in both cases the second half of that double shot is a bajillion times better and you know I think it's hard to balance that like. There's, it sucks that like when they have these two shows, like there's always going to have to be one that's lesser. Um, you know, they can't do a super card of honor followed by a better than our best every time. There's going to be one that's more of the setup show and one that's more of the payoff show. And it just is what it is. Um, I think this show was also hurt by the fact that the crowd was exceptionally bad. Um, you know, in some ways, maybe this was the worst crowd in the history of ROH to this point. Like, I really think that in some ways it was. Um, and I think that's probably a part of it too. Um, but you're going to see, um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to tip my hand too much, but I already did. Like the next show 
is a very fondly remembered show, and it's just like a million degrees away from what this was. And unfortunately, it's that this was the much less important, much less prioritized of the two shows. And uh, yeah, we're going to see that a lot. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything they could have done about that. But yeah, it's, this is it's frustrating. Yeah. I would say this is one of the least fun show. I mean, the podcast redeems it. I always enjoy doing the podcast, but this was one of the least fun shows, like to the point where I was having a hard time finishing the show. And then, you know, we usually say most of our thoughts for each other for the podcast. So they're like new to each other, but like Matt actually like DM me at one point, like I'm having a hard time getting through the show. And I was like, I was feeling the same way. And that is never happens for us. Like maybe occasionally it's like, Oh, that segment wasn't good or, or something. But like, yeah, th- I can't remember a show like this where I was just where both of us were just like, yeah, this is this is kind of tough sledding, and yet it's still. I always say Ring of Honor had such a high floor at this point. Like, <laughs> I was trying I mean, to find a way not, to. Compl- it's not like it's not like Heroes of Wrestling or anything. No, like I was trying to find a way to compliment this, and that this is the other day when I was like brushing my teeth when I think about this stuff. This is the way I can oh, the best call I could come up with. Like, if you were at an emergency room stuck there for like seven hours in a waiting room, and the, for some reason how we roll was playing on the TV, like it would be more entertaining to watch how me how we roll than like look at the floor if you didn't have your phone with you or like look at the wall like this is this is something that you've thought of based on past experiences i'm sure yes like like there's definitely things in life where it's like you know what i almost don't even want to watch this tv i would rather just look at the floor like there is some entertainment value to be had if you have literally nothing to do in the world if if tomorrow like something happens that destroys all media except for how we roll like you should watch it once or twice yeah and, and, and i'll just add this Sometimes you get that like, well, it's more entertaining because it's so bad it's good. This isn't that. This isn't like yeah. so bad it's good. This is just like there's some decently entertaining stuff on it. But it's just not good enough for an ROH show in 2006 gr- or in any other era. That's a great point. I would actually say in that sense, I would actually rather watch Heroes of Wrestling again than this because maybe, there's a perverse yeah. – enter- what, what, pardon me? I said maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just because there is a so bad it's good quality, and this is like like you said, there is not a so bad it's good. It's just kind of blandly below, a little below average. And at some point, you get to a level where it's almost like if this was just a little bit worse, it'd be kind of fun. Or if it was a little bit better, it'd be actually good. Instead, it's just this is how it rolls. So that's uh, how they roll. But and I guess the last thing I want to say about this is just. This is not like revisionist history or us being contrarian because I just want to point out because we ne- hardly ever give a negative review. I want to note like this is what people thought at the time about the show. I remember even at the time on message boards when people like would be do on the message boards be like, oh, what Ring of Honor shows should I buy? You know, I'm catching up or they're having a sale. This would be always be one of the ones where it's like, oh, this one you can. This is one of the easiest skips you can have. You're you're missing nothing if you if you do not buy How We Roll, even if it was on sale for like ten dollars. Like, I mean, I can need- I can vouch for this like. I was there. I thought it was bad at the time. I thought it was, in some ways, the... I mean, it was definitely the worst ROH show I had been to, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, what are you gonna, what are you gonna say? It was, it was, it was not good. <laughs> yeah, so, um, plugs through the years at gmail.com is how you can get in contact with us. That's T-H-R-O-H for through. Um, at Trevor Dame on Twitter at mayor mgf on twitter yeah and obviously you know where to find the podcast because you have the podcast so next time on the show we will be covering the second half of the double shot ring of homicide 
Uh, that's going to have the Briscoes versus Aries and Strong in the tag titles. Delirious versus Danielson, two for the world title. Um, Homicide and Necro Butcher. And Matt, my memories on the show aren't great, but because my memory is typically bad. But I'm just going to say this. I guarantee that's going to be more fun than this show. I my memories of that show are great because I'll just leave this tease. One of the most memorable shows I ever went to. Wow. In, in, so, a, good, in a good way. <laughs> that, that will be great. So – Until then, looking forward to it. Welcome to 2023. Until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.